You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 480. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 3K at the Holiday Inn in Rapid City, South Dakota. Today's show is recorded on the 5th of July, 2021, as we celebrate our independence from the country of a certain APG captain. today's episode, a freighter lands in Las Vegas without deploying its landing gear. Scottish Council officials say no to 440-foot-tall wind turbines out of concern they'd be hit by planes. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 480 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger Stern, an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 10-10 wins in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA. And joining me from her... Lakeside Studio on Lake Kagalaki, It's Dr. Skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff and Captain Nick. Good to see you both today. Really looking forward to a great show. It's been a nice holiday weekend. Yes. Can't wait to hear about your holiday. And also joining us. From his studio in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. A professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airlines. It's Captain Nick. Traitors, traitors, you're all traitors. <laughs> yep. By the way, it's Airways, not Airlines. No. Oh. Need to amend your script. Let me uh, let me change that right now. Airways. There we go. I won't make that mistake again. Limited. Airspace <laughs> Airways Limited. Okay. Well, we're starting off really well. I don't know what I I have a problem with the the word reporter uh, when I introduce Radio Rogers turn. Anyway. Um, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, and we're we're so happy that you're here with us. And uh, we did have the full crew <laughs> was here, present and ready to go. But uh, Rick is in Hawaii, in Waikiki, and having issues with the internet there. So uh, we're hoping, fingers crossed, that he'll be able to join us while the show is in progress a little bit later. But in the meantime, we're going to go ahead and start with the news.
stand by for news. It is a very sad day in the aviation podcasting world. One of the amazing, larger-than-life figures in this world of aviation podcasting, uh, someone who is uh, uh, very much involved with the Airplane Geeks podcast uh, and so many other things. Brad Launchpad Marzari has left this life and moved on to the next, has flown west. Um, and uh, we're not going to talk too much about his background and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, those of you who know him uh, understand, and if you've, or you're just now hearing this, um, you know, it's a shock, isn't it? Um, he was just a, a, a young 60 years old. And uh, I met, oh, he, by the way, he um, died in a, a plane crash in Colleen, Tex- in Colleen, Texas, where he was heading to, a, to an air show um, performance. And his uh, Focke-Wulf, uh, let's see, what's the exact uh, designation on that? FWP149D, uh, made by Piaggio in the uh, early 50s. And he was really proud of that airplane. And in fact, he uh, talked about uh, the the entire journey of procuring that airplane and uh, all the all the stories of that journey of uh, importing it into the United States and everything else. And, and uh, yeah, uh, I met um, Launchpad for the first time at um, Farmburg, no, not Farmburg, um, Oshkosh in 2017, my first time that I've been to Oshkosh. And it was just there for an afternoon, but uh, I got to meet him um, in the display area for uh, Pipistrel, I believe, the uh, aircraft manufacturer that he was a spokesperson for. And uh, he always put on, uh, if you can get the uh, Potapalooza screen uh, overlay, Liz, uh, he was, he put, I don't know how long he has been doing this at Oshkosh, but for many years, I, I'm gathering, um, where he get, got um, podcasters, podcast listeners, aviators, aviation enthusiasts, and canines, and any human that can have a dog vouch for them is also welcome. Uh, so uh, he was, as I said, uh, a very large man, uh, much larger than me, uh, and he had a very large mustache, and that mustache made my mustache pale in comparison. And uh, but as I said before, his his character, his personality was was larger than life, and I think anybody who knows him, who's met him, would agree with me. And uh, uh, we just wanted to say, rest in peace, uh, Launchpad. Uh, we're going to miss you uh, dearly. And please do me a favor, those of you listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show right now, uh, please listen to the Airplane Geeks podcast because they're going to do a special show um, talking about uh, Launchpad because there was a, they had a very tight, intimate relationship with him. And uh, yeah, that's... It's yeah, really just want to all I can say. Just want to add, you know, my condolences to his family and friends and those that knew him. I had the chance to meet him just the one time at Oshkosh two years ago. But you know, great guy as you've already said, and um, larger than life personality for sure. He'll definitely be missed. Yeah, I I met him uh, just the once at Oshkosh uh, when we were all out there, and he made such an impression on me. Uh, I, you know, you couldn't help but grin when you saw him. He was full of uh, life and energy. Uh, he seemed to be supporting uh, all these young aviators uh, and having a real, you know, getting a real kick out of doing it. And a terribly enthusiastic man. 
uh, one of those guys who was, you know, a classic can-do pilot, and nothing was going to be too hard for him. He was always going to get the job done. Uh, and uh, I think everyone's going to feel his uh, absence uh, at Oshkosh because, uh, you know, he was just everywhere and meeting people and, you know, just loving the whole environment. Uh, he's going to be sorely missed, I'm sure. When I hung out with him uh, in Oshkosh in 2019, I believe that photo um, that you had up there with uh, with uh, Launchpad and myself, um, we um, went off to the to the side and had a just a really really good conversation about um, philosophy and religion and everything else. And it was uh, man, if if you're if you're listening right now, Launchpad, really really enjoyed it, and I'm going to miss you. And uh, here's to you, I. I toast you and all the contributions you've made to this world of aviation. You're going to be sorely missed. So we just wanted to say that. And again, please tune in to the airline geek, I mean, airplane geeks podcast, and they're going to have a lot more um, information about this whole thing. All right. I, you know, I hate to start off the show on, on a, on a sad note like that, but. No, but I'm glad we were able to yeah. acknowledge that it's definitely. Um, very recent news and very fresh for a yeah. lot of people, but um, it wouldn't have been right not to not to say something about it. Yeah. I agree. Okay, let's move to uh, item one A. Um, now, many of you probably have heard about this. Uh, there was a plane crash just off the uh, shoreline, uh, very close to uh, the Hawaiian uh, shoreline, Oahu. Um, just pretty darn close to the Honolulu International Airport, and it was a uh, a cargo, a seven thirty seven two hundred cargo jet. And I just want to say to those news organizations out there, come on, man! Come on, man! Do you have any idea the difference between a seven thirty seven dash two hundred made in what nineteen seventy five? I think. And a, a Boeing 737 Max, uh, it just irks me so 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 much that uh, they can't. You know, they immediately all these stupid news articles talking about this crash. They're somehow m- giving the impression that it had something to do with the Boeing 737 Max. Thinking, no, nothing, <laughs> not even close. I mean, this multiple generations away from the Max. But anyway. Um, the National Transportation Safety Board uh, is investigating. Uh, it's continuing uh, Monday as investigators, that, which is today, uh, continue to gather information and evidence. And this is from the National Transportation Safety Board uh, website, NTSB. Um, and uh, Rhodes Aviation, the uh, doing business as Transair, Flight 810. A Boeing 737-200 ditched in the waters of Mamala Bay near Honolulu shortly after takeoff from Daniel Kanoe International Airport, Hawaii. Flight 810 was operating under Title 14 Code of Federal Regulations. Part 121 is a cargo flight bound for Kahului International Airport, Kahului, Hawaii. Both members of the two-person flight crew were injured and were rescued by the U.S. Coast Guard and Honolulu Fire Department. The airplane was substantially damaged and sank. 
The NTSB's investigation began Friday with the arrival of Hawaii in Hawaii of several investigators. The remainder of the NTSB's GO team arrived late afternoon on Saturday. Uh, and then goes on to talk about all the different thing, all the different companies that are going to be involved in the uh, investigation, involved in the investigation, as well as all the different things that they're going to be investigating. Um, we do have some audio from liveatc.net, which is um, in this video from Vass Aviation. So now I'm going to endeavor to share that with everyone. Rose Express 810, runway right, cleared for takeoff. Runway right, cleared for takeoff, Rose Express 810. Rose, uh, 810, we have emergency stop, but you are on the 220, have you? Rose Express 810, radar contact, fly heading of a 100 to join Victor 2, resume navigation. 820, has emergency, go to 220, heading, stand by. Rose Express 809, cleared visual approach, runway 4 right, no, runway 4 right, cleared land, change my frequency, 118.1. Rose Express 809, all right, clear to land, clear for visual, uh, with U181, Rose 809. Rose Express 810, radar contact, turn left, heading 09 or 0, join Victor 2, resume navigation, climb and maintain 13,000, stay altitude. Okay, Rose 810, radio check, how do you reach? Rose Express 810, loud and clear, how do you hear? Turn left, heading 180. Okay, Rose 810, we've lost an engine. We are on the 220, heading. Heading 2290. Rose Express 810, you're uh, cleared visual approach runway 4 right, you can turn in towards the airport. Okay, Rose 810, we're going to have to run a checklist if we can get a delay back this. Heading and uh, just keep me advised and maintain uh, 2000 if that's the altitude you'd like. Okay, 2000 is good for now, we'll stay around 15 miles from the airport. And Rose Express 809, uh, can you make the turn back in now to the airport? Company's not coming in quite yet. Okay, we are coming back towards the airport, heading 360 now, Rose Express 809. Rose Express 809, you're still clear for the visual approach to runway 4 right, runway 4 right, clear to land. 4 right, clear to land, Rose 809. And Rose Express 810, uh, when you get a chance, uh, can I get, yeah, the nature of the emergency, I know you set an engine out, which one? Uh, how many souls on board and fuel? Okay, all that is good. We'll give you all that in a little bit, a little bit, Rose, uh, 810. You're ready. Say hello to Rose, 810. Rose Express 810, hello, sir. Yeah, we can take your tent to the right, uh, towards the airport. We're not ready to land yet, though. Rose Express 810, uh, fly heading of 250. 250, Rose, 810. And Rose 810 would like to come to the airport now. Rose Express 810, Roger, confirm you still have the airport in sight. Turn right. Rose Express 810, turn right, heading 020, confirm you still have the airport in sight. Negative, we don't have the airport, Rose 810, 020. Rose Express 810, fly heading of 020, and would you like to intercept the localizer or do you want vectors? Uh, vectors straight to the airport. We might look at the other 
ditched the airplane about two to two and a half miles to the, uh, the south, south east of, uh, what was it called? The Kalalua? Kalailoa. Kalailoa. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, so both survived, although they are both in serious and or critical condition. One of them, I think, is is uh, worse off than the other. Do you know anything about that stuff? No, I actually haven't seen anything about updates on the um, condition of the crew. The uh, local, one of the local stations there in Honolulu uh, interviewed the Coast Guard helicopter pilots and also the uh, rescue swimmer and the, uh, uh, what do they call it, crew, crew chief, I think. And uh, mm-hmm. that was interesting stuff, you know, a little bit more detail about the rescue operation. And uh, they were both injured, one more seriously, and they didn't really specify you know, which one was which I think one, I think the captain was 58 years old and the other was about 50. So, um, middle of the night, yeah, it was dark. And so the weather conditions, if you're wondering, scattered clouds, uh, the, there was a broken, uh, layer or scattered layer at 5,000 and then few, uh, at 2,500 or something like that. Um, so, I mean, if you get far enough, 10, 15 miles away, I guess it's possible that this scattered or a few, um, deck could possibly obscure the lights of the runway or perhaps it was just hard to distinguish the the uh there's the a lot of lights there runway in, lights from know, everything else in the background in Honolulu. yeah yeah and then you know it, it was uh so sad i thought or not sad but like okay well the uh what what did you call it um steph the one that was a little bit closer uh kalailoa kalailoa um, was closer, but then <laughs> because it's not a towered airport or at least the tower wasn't open at that time, uh, you know, pilot controlled lighting, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not yeah, an opportune time. You're, you're trying to keep yeah. the airplane from crashing into the ocean at this point. And I could tell that they were kind of indicating that they didn't think they were going to make it to any runway anywhere. Uh, they were going to try mm-hmm. to point it in that direction. But I think that they knew that, uh, because the, first engine had shut down and the second engine was apparently not providing much thrust uh, that they were not going to make it back and they were going to be in the water. And I think that's why I'm assuming it was the co-pilot making the uh, most of those radio calls that, um, you know, please let the Coast Guard know or notify the Coast Guard. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just so, you know, it's such a helpless feeling when you're listening to those radio communications, but you know, because there's nothing you can do about it. You're just listening. You're sitting there watching, listening to this all happening, thinking, oh my gosh, I can't imagine what they must be feeling at this point. But uh, they, they keep calm, cool, and collected on the radio, which is good. And most of us aviators do that. But uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Nick? Yeah. Uh, this is everyone's uh, nightmare. Uh, a night ditching is uh, I mean, ditching in any circumstances, um, particularly in the sea where there are waves and uh, your aircraft has a much higher probability of breaking up than it would if you were landing on a lake or um, you know a river. Um, so it, it's it's a nightmare scenario to start with. Trying to do it in the dark uh, is just appalling. So um, you know you just got to feel for them. Um, the fact that they survived, uh, even in bad shape, I think is is remarkable. Brilliant, well done, guys. Um, I, you know, they had such a short amount of time to uh, to check, you know, to try and work out what the problem was, to uh, go through any kind of uh, fault analysis. So, 
Um, I think they're really just in pretty desperate state straits uh, when they realize they'd lost one, and now the other engine is uh, giving them problems as well. Um, probably so, w- way too early to guess, but you know the classic straight after takeoff uh, is uh, a fuel problem, a fuel contamination. Yeah, that's uh, what I thought. It's yeah, especially it, when an engine's it, running hot too. You know that that kind of indicates to me that there's some kind of contamination in that jet fuel. Yep, could well be. Uh, you know, it's very unlikely that you get two uh, uh, fail engine failures very close to each other like that, um, uh, unless of course uh, they had worked down on both engines simultaneously. Same thing. I remember a. Uh, um, uh, 787 uh, nearly lost both engines because they just uh, fitted new components and they both failed. Um, you know, one failed just after the aircraft landed, so they got in safely. But those sort of things can happen. But, you know, generally speaking, we think about fuel contamination or a fuel problem. Um, yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm the... very impressed with the Coast Guard. I wish I oh, could yes. find out more about that. One of the questions I've seen most frequently come up um, related to this is why were they, you know, I certainly understand the need to, to run checklists and everything else, and you want to take the time to do that when it's appropriate. But um, I think a lot of folks who are looking at this and trying to understand what happened were wondering why they were so far away from the, the airport when they had immediate engine failure and potential need to return. A standard engine out procedure is one of those things that we call, you know, you it's a... You have time. It's not of right. Uh, right. You have time to run through checklists and everything. But if you have any inkling that this is a situation that might affect the other engine, then it becomes a no time event, and you need to get it. You need to stay close to the airport and get it back on the ground as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever checklist items you get done. You know, that's great, but, you know, you need to get – it's like a situation where the airplane's on fire. You just got to get it on the ground. But so I don't know if there was a uh, – there there may have been a time frame there that they realized, yeah. oh, it's not just the one engine. It's it's a, something affecting both engines. And at that point, I think they were a little bit too far away to make it back. And Sure. It sounds like they just didn't have um, the indication early on that it was going to affect both engines. And that's right. how they ended up, you know. No, exactly right. Normally, you would uh, you get an engine failure, and you would go right. Okay, let's go into a hold. Let's assess the situation. Decide whether we're going to burn off fuel. Run the checklists. See if we can recover the engine uh, in case we need it. Get the APU going. You know, there's so many things you just need to tick off because uh, you're not anticipating losing two. It's very, very rare. Uh, you know, so rare that this will become. You know, quite a, an interesting accident for people to study in the future because mm-hmm. they they really don't happen very often. Um, yeah, Dale mentions that dual engine failures uh, do occur. Uh, that one was, uh, yeah, the, the reason we all know about it is because they're so rare, Dale. Because, uh, you know, uh, when they do happen, we all go, well, most of us are flying two-engine airplanes, and that is, you know, word nightmare. Um, and that, of course, was uh, icing. Um, but this, uh, yeah, multiple bow strikes, That's possibly. Possible. But yeah. you, you, I was thinking, even at night, you'd have a vague clue that you'd been through a flock of birds. Yeah, yeah, because you'd have so, all your lights uh, on, so, so you'd probably good. see something. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, I think the only thing they, I mean, they were asking to stay within 15 miles of the airport. That's really not far away. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have wanted a little more altitude That's just good. in case things yeah. did go. Sure. Uh, yeah, because trotting around at 2,000 feet, <laughs> you haven't not got very, very high. Hum- you know, you haven't got very much separation between you and the water. So mm-hmm. it's going to all happen quite quick. But interestingly, uh, all the scenarios I've been through in the simulator when you lose an engine, 2,000 feet above the ground is a kind of a common altitude. Um, maybe we should rethink that. Let's let's get up to four or five. Let's get a little bit more potential energy on this thing when we have, still have an operating engine. Um, I don't know. Uh, one of the things yeah, I did. Yeah, if you're able to. You know. Yeah, if you're able to. If you're able to. Um, yeah, because you might be really, really heavy and you only have one engine. and It may be everything you can do to keep it at 2,000 feet above the ground or maybe even not mm-hmm. that. One of the things I did notice is that uh, in the uh, radio communications, there was some definitely contributing factors here to confusion. And um, someone in our live audience said something, well, I think it's because they had uh, multiple frequencies. I think it was Ryan. Reason it sounded like the controller was talking over the pilots was because she was working multiple frequencies at once. She wasn't actually speaking over them. I, I disagree. I think she was. And I think, and I see this in my uh, everyday operation. If somebody doesn't have their volume up enough on their radio frequency, they may not hear the fact that the other person's microphone is still being keyed, even though they're not saying anything. And so I hear people talking over each other all the time. So perhaps the um, the controller didn't have her volume up enough to understand that this person was still transmitting maybe wasn't speaking right at the moment and then she jumped right into it but he, on the other hand they the um accident um crew also was talking over her so it was kind of a, a thing where there was a lot of uh stepping on each other we call it yeah so um, in this in this case in particular you know it's not a lot of the standard there's a lot of information that needs to be communicated and it, you know when your brain is trying to put things into um order very quickly it's easy to think that someone has stopped the end of the chunk of information that they're going to give you, you know, put things in manageable chunks. Um, but that's not how our brains actually work when you're trying to give information. It's, I've got this chunk, but also this chunk, but I need half a second pause to, you know, clear my mind and and get all that information out. But if you leave that half a second, the other person thinks you've stopped and then you end up talking over And you're other. still analyzing that situation. Like, what do we have here? What's going on? Yep. We just lost an engine. And yeah. So your brain is, you know, over almost overtasked at that point, and you know you're going to. It's not unusual that you're not going to be able to spew everything out, you know, right away. That you're going to have to time take a couple half seconds. Which is to, why, Steph, uh, we all developed this technique of going la 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 la. Uh, uh, <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> is that why we developed that? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just so we can keep the uh, radio <laughs> occupied while we think about what we're going to say yeah, next. It's, it's safety. It's for safety. That's why we do it. That's yeah, why we do exactly. it on the PAs as well. Because you never oh, know yes, well, who's going to step <laughs> over that PA. Um, the other um, thing was a little bit of a confusion there. <laughs> Just coincidence that uh, Rhodes 809 happened to be oh, yeah. coming back from their flight from wherever they were coming in from and they were on frequency about to land and 810 leaving and uh, I'm thinking oh that was not 
that was not good timing at all. Not good. And they're yeah. both flying similar headings at that point too, or wanting right. to fly similar headings. So she's trying to, and you know, because they're stepping on each other, they haven't heard which yeah. aircraft is being assigned, which frequent or which heading, but they got that straightened out pretty I, quick. I would be she very surprised if the NTSB doesn't say that one of the factors, contributing factors in all this was, you know, the radio communications and, you know, being a little bit not clear, but uh, yeah. Yeah. No, exactly right. Anyway, we're going to find out because it's not going to be hard to find the wreckage. I'm sure they'll get the uh, voice recorders and mm-hmm. hopefully I think they've already the got flight them. recorders. Yeah. Oh, I think they've already okay. got them. Uh, didn't it say that in the... Uh... Well, I, I read something that said that they were going to use side um, side viewing uh, sonar to find them, but they were trying to determine what the actual debris field was first and and so they know exactly where to go and get them but i don't know if they have them oh side sonar that was monday then i thought they that's saw. today i think right yeah mm, okay yeah yeah okay yeah, maybe mind. they have forget, I, don't know. I, forget I said that somebody nope. said i think i think i misread that so nope what i said is not correct somebody in the chat room said yeah put that slap that thing up there um because <laughs> <laughs> it's not very often we get to do that with steph so go ahead. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. I got it. Way to go, Steph. I, I admitted it right away. I just I yeah. thought I read that they had recovered it, but she you're right. They were talking about using the sonar <laughs> yeah. to recover it. So I yeah, I was incorrect. I'll admit it. Uh, I'm usually the one that's the below 50%. So welcome to my club. Um, <laughs> the uh, other thing that somebody had said that they heard it from somebody who knows somebody that uh, the, both pilots have actually been released from the hospital. So if that's true, that's a good that's good news. Yeah, here we go. Yes. Second or Rhodes. perhaps third-hand information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, may or may not be true, but, you know, it's probably at least 50% true. <laughs> so Rick's got a good comment here. Oh, somebody has a good comment. Uh, Rick went to recover the boxes. He'll be right. Oh, that's what he's doing. So he's so <laughs> uh, he's, scub- he's scuba diving. He's up. so modest. He didn't tell modest. us that. Yeah, mm-hmm. who is going to be going out there and doing that? Rick. Well, they're sitting on top of the cable for the internet, so yes. Oh, okay. That's why he lost the internet, Liz says, because they were sitting on top of the cable uh, for the internet. Ah. Uh-huh. Yes. Gotcha. All right. Anyway, uh, yeah, so um, I, from what we can tell, the uh, crew did a good job of, uh, you know, getting it back as, as, as quickly and you know, closely as I could, but didn't quite make it. And, you know, we're, we're hoping and, you know, thinking about them and praying for them. Um, to hopefully they'll fully recover from this and we'll be able to figure out what the heck happened here, but, uh, mm-hmm. a, a strange one for sure. All right. Ready to move on. Yes. Let's do it. Um, this next one, uh, air an air cargo carrier shorts 360 on behalf of FedEx Federal Express registration November 970 Alpha Alpha performing positioning flight 700 from Las Vegas North Nevada to Las Vegas Nevada with two crew landed on Las Vegas McCarran Airport's runway eight right when tower instructed the aircraft to taxi all the way down and hold short of run or short eight runway eight left to taxi to the cargo apron. The crew responded they'd remain on the runway. Uh, another voice chimed in asking, is your gear up? Uh, the aircraft became <laughs> stuck on its belly on the runway. <laughs> unable. <laughs> unable Talk to taxi. communication problems, like issues. Uh, we'll remain on the runway. <laughs> yeah, we're is not going anywhere. Is still up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, emergency services responded to that point, uh, at that point, and the aircraft was later lifted off the runway by a crane. It took a little bit longer to taxi in. 
The aircraft had actually performed a full stop landing at North Las Vegas, departed again for a visual return to Las Vegas International Airport, and suffered the gear problem at landing at McCarran. The airport reported the aircraft had made a hard landing <laughs> after the landing gear did not deploy. Well, yeah, by definition. <laughs> it's generally more gentle if you land with your gear down, yeah. generally, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I would think so. Um Let's see. Uh, the FAA is looking into the occurrence. Really? Why would they do that? <laughs> That's unusual. Are they trying to suggest that they uh, didn't accidentally leave it up and that they it actually failed? I, I don't know what they're trying to suggest no, here. It I, sounds that sentence makes it sound a little bit confusing. But I be, basically, I think they're saying that because they forgot to put the gear down, it was a hard landing. Okay. Right? And you know, so, if any of us forget to put the gear down, it's going to be a hard landing unless you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like just Dale's got a good comment yeah. here, Jeff. I like oh. my fixed uh, gear. Dale says that awkward <laughs> moment that you need to t- need takeoff power to taxi to your parking bay. Yeah, that's always a good clue, <laughs> <laughs> Dale. <laughs> you, oops, do we forget something? Ah, <sighs> yeah, not good. I mean, we were laughing. It's not funny for them. <laughs> I'm sure. No, and it's not really very funny in general. It's no. just funny because of the way that it's reported. It's, yes. That's really, I think, yeah. what we're laughing at here. Um, and the series of communications that took place. Um, yeah. <laughs> but no, don't don't forget to put your gear down. It's not good. Yeah. that's. It's not the first time that's happened and it's not going to be the last, sadly. Mm, nope. All right. More cargo issues. More cargo issues. A Skylease Cargo Boeing 747-400 Registration, November 908 Alfa Romeo, performing flight 4854 from Chicago O'Hare to Halifax, Nova Scotia, in Canada, with one passenger, three crew, and no cargo, landed on Halifax's runway 14 uh, at 5.06 local time, but was unable to stop before the end of the runway. They overran the end of the runway, went down a slope, and through the localizer antenna and came to a stop about 200 meters past the runway end. The four crew received minor injuries. The aircraft received substantial damage with all gear collapsed. Engines number two and number three separated. Engines number one and four damaged and creases in the fuselage skin. Emergency services reported the aircraft with four crew went beyond the runway end. Yeah, I thought we just established that. Um, Let's see. The Canadian TSB have dispatched investigators on site. According to communication with Halifax Tower, the aircraft was on an ILS approach to runway 14. Tower reported the winds from 260 degrees at 14 knots on initial contact. About 90 90 seconds later, Tower reported the winds were now from 260 at 16, gusting 21, and queried whether runway 14 was still acceptable. The crew confirmed Tower cleared the aircraft to land on runway 14. A short time prior to touchdown, Tower reported winds from 250 degrees at 15, gusting 21. Five minutes after initial contact, the crew reported they had gone off the runway and needed full emergency support. Tower activated the crash alert. Tower advised responding rescue vehicles, uh, two responding rescue vehicles that the aircraft was at the threshold of runway 32. Arriving first vehicles reported there was a small fire at the tail. They needed everyone out. Eight minutes after the first vehicles arrived on scene, the fire chief reported the small fire at the tail had been put out. There was no fire on board the aircraft. On 
So let's see. The reason why we're talking about this now is that on the 29th of June, the TSB released their final report concluding the probable causes of the accident were the ineffective presentation style and sequence of the NOTAMs. Uh, we need to play that, don't we? Uh, where is that? Oh, come on. I wasn't quite ready for it. Uh, here we go. That's what NOTAMs are. They're just a bunch of garbage that nobody pays any attention to. Okay. That was the chairman of the NTSB. I think, I think he's still there. He's, he's about, retired. No, he's he, retired. Oh, he's finally retired. Okay. Just retired, yeah. Um, and yeah, the ineffective presentation style and sequence of the NOTAMs available to the crew and flight dispatch led them to interpret that runway 23 was not available for landing at Halifax Stanfield International Airport. The crew was unaware that the aircraft did not meet the pre-departure landing weight requirements using flaps 25 for runway 14. Not sure why they didn't, but they weren't aware of that. Due to the timing of the flight during the nighttime circadian trough, and because the crew had had insufficient restorative sleep in the previous 24 hours, the crew was experiencing sleep-related fatigue that degraded their performance and cognitive functioning during the approach and landing. <laughs> What was what's the best way to sum that one up? They were sleep deprived. Yeah, they were like zoned out. Yeah. Circadian low. Using Loopy. unfactored right. actual landing distance charts may have given the crew the impression that landing on runway 14 would have had a considerable runway safety margin, influencing their decision to continue the landing in the presence of a tailwind. When planning the approach, the crew calculated a faster approach speed of reference speed plus 10 instead of the recommended reference speed plus 5 because they misinterpreted Uh-oh. that a wind additive was required for the existing conditions. Ooh. So they had a tailwind, <laughs> and then they added even more and they added speed. added five knots. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. So you, and you may, you know, people that aren't uh, pilots out there may not quite understand that, um, you know, the, your energy is, what's the uh, equation, um, uh, one-half um mass times velocity no velocity squared something like that mass times velocity squared so you know if you increase your if you're heavier yes that's going to increase your energy but if you increase your velocity your speed that is um modified exponentially so just a couple of knots you wouldn't think would make any big difference at all but it does it makes a big difference because it's that that velocity is squared in the energy uh, equation so that's uh, definitely a factor there. Um, for the approach, the crew selected the typical flap setting of flaps 25 rather than flaps 30 because they believed they had a sufficient safety margin. Uh, this setting increased the landing distance required by almost 500 feet. The crew were operating in a cognitive context of fatigue and biases that encouraged anchoring to and confirming information that aligned with continuing the initial plan, increasing the likelihood that they would continue the approach. Well, they must have talked to a psychologist or something on that one. Yeah. Uh, the crew recognized the presence of a tailwind on approach one minute and 21 seconds from the threshold. Likely due to this limited amount of time, the crew did not recalculate the performance data to confirm that the runway safety margin was still acceptable. An elevated level of stress and workload on short final likely exacerbated the performance-impairing effects of fatigue due uh, to limit the crew's ability to determine the effect of the tailwind influencing their their decision to continue the approach. The higher aircraft speed, the presence of a tailwind component, and the slight deviation above the glide slope, 
didn't know that either, increased the landing distance required to a distance greater than the runway length available. After the firm touchdown, for undetermined reasons, the engine number one thrust lever was moved forward of the idle position, causing the speed brakes to uh. retract <clears throat> and the auto brake system to disengage. And the Swiss cheese all lightning. No mm. kidding. Wow. I mean, I was thinking, <laughs> Just I thought yeah. that was pretty much enough to happen. <laughs> before, but now it's like even getting worse. Yeah, uh, yeah the uh, speed brakes retracted. The auto brakes didn't engage. Increasing the Ouch. distance required to bring the aircraft to a stop. Um, the right crab out angle, crab apple, the right crab angle, four and a half degrees on an initial touchdown, combined with the crosswind component and asymmetric reverser selection, caused the aircraft to deviate to the right of the runway center line. During the landing roll, the pilot monitoring's attention was focused on the lateral drift, and as a result, it required call outs regarding the position of the deceleration, deceleration devices were not made. Oof. So note, so the person flying doesn't know that uh, these spoilers are not deployed and the and the auto brakes auto are not brakes on. Auto brakes disconnected. The pilot flying focused on controlling the ladder. Oh, yeah, I just uh, talked about that. Although manual brake application began eight seconds after touchdown, maximum braking effort did not occur until 15 seconds later when the aircraft was 800 feet from the end of the runway. <laughs> well, we're Ouch. not going to make it. At this position, it was not possible for the aircraft to stop on the runway, and five seconds later, the aircraft departed the end of the runway at a speed of 77 knots and came to a stop 270 meters, which is 885 feet, past the end of the runway. <laughs> and then during the overrun, the aircraft crossed a significant drop of 2.8 meters, 9 feet, approximately 544 feet past the end of the runway and was damaged beyond repair. While this uneven terrain was beyond the 492-foot runway end safety area proposed by Transport Canada, it was within the recommended International Civil Aviation Organization runway end safety area of 300 meters. <sighs> okay. Uh, findings as to risk if the pilot monitoring does not call out approach conditions or approach speed increases the pilot flying might not make corrections, increasing the risk of a runway overrun. So there's more here, other findings, et cetera. But wow, what a mess here. Um, no wonder they went off the end of the runway, right? And mm -hmm. I don't think yeah. I got these in the uh, any overlays, uh, Liz. So I'm going to, no, while Steph and uh, Nick uh, talk about this, I'm going to go ahead and try to share those like images. Rick is not going to be able to join us. I mean, just... Just half of those. Uh, no, Rick's not coming back. I'm afraid. Uh, just half of those uh, factors uh, might well have given them a, a problem. But uh, to me, um, yeah, uh, the fact that they really didn't get uh, braking on for eight seconds and then full braking fifteen seconds uh, that that to me was probably the biggest sin. Because um, uh, you, I bet you, Rick would say. Well, if you stand on the brakes as soon as you get on the ground, the bloody thing will stop in a sixpence. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you normally have a bit of a fudge factor built into uh, your stopping distance. But um, the, the fact they let it just trundle um, without spoilers and without uh, auto brakes for so long, I think that really cooked their goose. Yeah. Yeah, I think the fatigue side of things probably really does have a lot to do with this, and that I, I think that's why that was highlighted so much in the report because these are things that they 
um, you know, from the misinterpretation of the notum and not understanding that they could have landed on a more favorable runway to, you know, incorrect calculations to the not recognizing the other things that were happening as they were landing. Uh, I think that's a, a big part of this as well. Yeah, I mean, they've got a tire controller they can always ask. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, but when you and, have fatigue like that, you know, if your brain doesn't always give you the... Um, no, no, exactly right. You're not thinking uh, as clearly. straight as you could. Yeah. Uh, they probably only they probably didn't exceed their max tailwind uh, with that thirty degrees. It was off. an eight knot tailwind component. Yeah, so it was close, but not. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, just so many things added up on this approach. Uh, just you know, not brilliantly flown. Um, tailwind, not getting it down right, not activating uh, the reversers and the spoilers at the appropriate point. Checking the brakes working. Yeah. yeah. A lot of things that just didn't happen as they should have. Um, no. I have a feel this funny feeling that we've seen pictures of airplanes, not this one, other airplanes in this exact position at Halifax in the past on our show. Uh, I, I don't think I'm ever going to fly into Halifax because I don't want to run off the end of the runway. <laughs> Anyway, at least it wasn't. Those other ones in like snowy conditions. Yeah, I think they were. Yeah, yeah. that seems to me that yeah they were snowy conditions. All right, very sad. Uh, I don't think they're going to fix that one, are they? Uh, They said they were not. Yeah, that doesn't look like uh, that. Looks like damage uh, beyond repair. Like your insurance company says, yeah, that's totaled. Look for a new car. (laughs) Yeah. All right. And now, do you think it'd be worth um, waiting till we get Rick on the show before we do D? It might be, um, because he's the expert on. Yes, I think mm-hmm. so. I think, in fact, I you know, a lot of these we probably could have, but uh, I was hoping. Yeah, we're we were keeping the fingers crossed and ever hopeful, but it looks like uh, Rick is not going to make it. it looks like it's internet down. Um, but we can talk about this next one, E, which is really kind of a strange one, I think. Nick sent this in. Uh, oh, Nick sent this one in. No wonder it's so strange. Um, <laughs> well, I saw it in my newspaper, and I thought, <laughs> what the hell? Why don't you uh, tell, tell us about this? I'm <laughs> yeah. not sure I quite understand the reasoning beyond, uh, behind. Well, neither do I. Okay. But, uh, we've got a, a local council up in Scotland, Aberdeenshire, to be precise, um, where they uh, there are some a contractors trying to put up a wind farm, um, and you know it's, most of us will think, well, that's a good idea because we like we're going green. Uh, it's got to be good, but they've um, the councillors have thrown out the plans uh, for a wind farm n- near a place called Stonehaven, uh, voicing various fears. But the one that caught my mind was um, or caught my uh, interest was the fact that the um, vote for the uh, success of the building of this wind farm uh, rested on the shoulders of the chairperson, uh, a Mrs. Agnew, um, who had the you know the deciding vote because it was so close, and she said no. May I interrupt you before you go she- on? I, I need to uh, make a, a point here that I just realized yeah. that you know this is a wind thing, and her name is Wendy. <laughs> I just thought it was kind of 
coincidence? <laughs> I don't know. Mm, you be the judge. I think not. <laughs> I, I okay. Think, I think you might have misread that. I think it's Wendy. <laughs> Wendy. But, well, close, Wendy, Wendy, that, you know, sounds pretty close. Yeah, okay, possible, I'm sorry for possible. the interruption. Go ahead. So the, uh, the problem was that she uh, appears to believe that the presence of these um, these big turbines would um, bring down aircraft. So, huh? you know, they say they're, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're a hazard to air, airliners and we're going to have an airliner crash if um, voicing fears that the giant structures would cause airplanes to crash. Uh, there are already 50 turbines in the area, so I'm going... Yeah, but these oh, are bigger oh, ones, okay. Nick. Well, they might be, uh, but generally speaking, <laughs> uh, air, air, aircraft that fly close to the ground, um, you know, you know about tall obstacles, and we avoid them. You know, all our automatic uh, well, systems. I, I uh, Have you, know, you considered that, the effect on radar systems of planes? Yeah, that was another... Curious <laughs> I love I this paragraph. Where, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, the effect on uh, the radar systems of planes arriving at Aberdeen International Airport. Yeah, how is that um, going to affect the radar systems? I don't understand. Yeah, that. I, I'm not. Yeah, th this is the reason I wrote to the uh, <laughs> the fine oh, counselor. Okay, you did. I did indeed, and um, uh, her, the email I sent was immediately bounced back as being unauthorized. I'm not quite sure why I was unauthorized to send off an email to <laughs> you're on the black counselor. So, so did you um, wait, wait, my, wait, and Nick? I think I know why. Did you use your email address? I'm offended by uh, Captain Nick <laughs> at airlinepilotguy.com. No, I, I, oh. I, I use my regular old oh, pilot one. Okay. So, uh, hmm. uh, and I'm also just going to finish this bit here, which says there are actually no objections uh, from the Ministry of Defense or the Civil Aviation Authority. Um, huh. But, um, but the, why the, listen to the people who might be the experts? <laughs> exactly. That's uh, that's a good point, and, and I would like an answer to that. So uh, the chair, Wendy Agnew, said she was concerned devices on the turbines designed to ensure they show up on radar systems would fail. And I'm going, well, generally speaking, a device is just a radar reflector. If you want it to show up to an airport radar, you have a reflector on it. That, that, that can't fail. Uh, you know, it, it's a reflector. It, it's no, there's no electronics in it. It just bounces by a radar signal. How close is this proposed big wind farm to the airport? Is it that close? Well, uh, no, if you look at it, there's a map uh, about two thirds down, and there's Stonehaven, and then there's Aberdeen, quite a long way up the coast to the north. Um, and it was only for eleven more turbines. Anyway, what what I wrote was uh, that I'd seen this uh, uh, recent article concerning the rejection of the plans for a wind farm development uh, in the councillor's area. Uh, and I mentioned that we're going to discuss it on the show. Mm -hmm. And I said, the article isn't clear what reasons you might have to believe that wind farms might cause aircraft to crash. However, you are quoted as saying they could lead to an airliner coming down. In the interest of fairness, we'd like to give you the chance to comment on the accuracy of your words as they're quoted and on the science behind your concerns <laughs> for aviation safety should the wind farm be built. And um, I got no reply. Uh, funny, huh. 
That's so uh, that, that's the area. Uh, and the little square at the bottom, right-hand corner, gives uh-huh. you an idea of how far it is from Aberdeen, which is the city a lot further up the coast. Don't know if you can expand that at all. I'm trying to. I'm trying to make it bigger. There you go. The red square is Stonehaven, <laughs> and then said. you can see Aberdeen up the road there. So, uh, yeah. I, I, you know, I, it, it, it rather worries me that uh, these things, uh, which we're all so in need of nowadays, more power from natural resources, should be turned down. But uh, for a, a reason I can't fathom. Obviously, these things are so huge. They must be like 5,000 to 10,000 feet tall. Uh, at least, I'm sure they are. Is that the same no. as 135 meters? I'm not good with the conversions. Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> a, I think that's the way. It, that's it, it works out. 135 meters works out to like five to ten thousand feet. Okay. <laughs> I can see that being problematic. Then uh, let, let me uh, let me. Uh, uh, it's like 500 feet or something like. Convert yeah, 135 yeah. meters into feet. Oh boy, feet. here we go. <laughs> Yeah. 443. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not a lot of airplanes flying at 443 feet. Like it looks like about 20 miles from the airport. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly no. right. Interesting. And uh, even GA aircraft are never supposed to go below 500 feet. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be safe as well. So the only thing that might get clubbered uh, aviation wise is the old drone. Drones, <laughs> drones they, helicopters. They yeah. Staff yeah. out there jumping, dumping jumpers. Oh yeah, they'll mm-hmm. parachute. That that would be yeah. fun to see. But, uh, <laughs> Watch them get. So I'm picturing I, them like going around and around on there, <laughs> like <laughs> on the, <laughs> just stuck. <laughs> I feel we may wait in vain for a reply from. Yeah, the I don't think we're going to be getting a reply. <laughs> it was a very no, not anytime soon. Very nicely worded and sounded really nice and polite. I don't know why they. Rejected. Uh, your I, yeah, I tried. It didn't say, yes. "Hey, morons." Um, <laughs> a question about why? No, 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 no. Uh, no? Uh, uh, I okay. assumed that she had some very good reason. For <laughs> hey, morons! That, uh, I wasn't aware of. <laughs> That's how I would have started the letter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Anyway. Oh shoot! I think I just closed the Evernote window. <laughs> well, that's not good. Uh, no, it's not because I need that to sound like i know what i'm talking about <laughs> and i usually fail oh. yeah well no it doesn't help liz but you know every whatever okay uh that's it we're gonna save uh, whatever left we have left in the news for another show another time when we're together oh. again in the meantime i think we should do this getting to know all about us getting to like us getting to hope you like us too and quit making fun of my singing it's not funny all right it's the time of the show well liz is she's saying horrible things i am not no she's not really she didn't say anything I was going to say, are you sure this like, is Canadian? Like, that doesn't sound like Liz. It, maybe it was a voice in my head. Well, I, I just mis- and, I misidentified the voice in my head. <laughs> my conscience. That's yeah, what was. Like it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, getting to know us is the time of the show where we, it's one of my favorite times of the show where we get to go and talk about what we've been doing between episodes. 
And I think we're going to have a lot to talk about here. It's been very long, though. Uh, it hasn't been long, Liz said. That's what she said <laughs> um, <laughs> since the last episode, because I think well, we did it, what, Tuesday and Wednesday of last week, and now it's Monday. Yeah. So we had this uh, weekend between the last shows and uh, this one. <laughs> uh, last week was that that whole thing was a was a quite a train wreck and a mess, and it was not easy <laughs> to edit all that and make it sound you know, reasonable, uh, yeah, it, 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 that it just doesn't anyway. Um, so, um, I would like to, I don't know who wants to go first. Pick with someone. All right. Nick, one of us. Nick, go first. Uh, okay, sir. Okay. Well, uh, not much has happened, uh, except that I've got something coming up. I would like to mention. So, uh, you know, I give the occasional lecture or talk and, um, Next Wednesday, 7.30 in the evening, I'll be lecturing the Air Yorkshire Aviation Society. Um, And uh, looking forward to doing that. I put a link to their magazine. So uh, if you're in Yorkshire and you want to join the Air Yorkshire Aviation Society, uh, if you do that before next Wednesday, then you'll get a chance to get the Zoom link. Uh, I'm not actually going there, sadly. Uh, Perhaps next year, you never know. And um, I'll be doing uh, a talk about, uh, you know, the Cold War and flying phantoms and intercepting Russians and all that kind of stuff. Yorkshire, isn't that the uh, the Yorkshire Airlines where they have the uh, beer taps in the cockpit? That's the very one. It, okay, awesome. Yes, that should be yes, a good lecture. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, um, not much is going on, really. I, I just threw my back out again today. So oh, I'm, man. Um, a lot of discomfort, but apart from that, everything's fine. Playing through the pain. Play through, just push on. Play through the pain. Okay. I do. Um, Absolutely. Yes, you're a. Bowling is worth it. Great example of persistence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Pardon? <laughs> that wasn't the sound effect I was intending to play. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, is that the condition of his back? Yeah, yeah, that's that is uh, that is the ailment in your back, and uh, it's commonly known as. Yeah. Oh, here it is. This is the one I was looking for. Come on, man. <laughs> here we go. Um, there you go. Anything? How's how's the other than throwing your back out? I mean, are you are you still winning games and hanging in there with the uh, competition? Well, I won today's game despite awesome. the fact that I. Uh, I threw my back out while I was putting my bowling shoes on. How stupid is that? Hmm. Uh, and then I had to you know, take some painkillers, and I got through the game. But, yeah, that was a win. Um, the, the, the biggest competitions, uh, I've, I've got, you know, a, a decent way up the uh, the number of rounds, but uh, eventually uh, I've been eased out of those by better players. Uh, I did have a week of playing like an idiot, so uh, that didn't help. Um and uh, I don't know, I'm in more local competitions now, so the world continues to turn. I continue to play bowls, which is all good fun. Are the bowling shoes that you guys have just like the ones over here where they're like um, um, kind of smelly? They and, kind of uh, smell. Yeah, they smell. And yeah. No. 
They have a very distinct odor. <laughs> they have a, nice. a bowling alley. They're, they're nice. <laughs> they're like they're like they're like trainers with flat soles, so that they oh, don't uh, damage the no grass. Fun. Yeah, you know what? If you had bowling shoes on over there, you'd probably be like slipping and sliding all over the grass. So it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> Nigel's asking for some clarification. Next Wednesday, two or nine days time. Oh, god! <laughs> uh, not this week, Nigel. <laughs> next week. <laughs> oh. Mr. Yeah, two days from now or nine days from now. <laughs> yeah. 14. Well, I you, think you I mentioned used it correctly. Week already, next. but Nigel must have fallen asleep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. He was probably going to figure out where you were and heck, heckle you, <laughs> knowing Nigel. Yeah, he probably was. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. But hopefully he won't be able to get onto Zoom. True. Um, <laughs> Steph. Did yeah. you like do any athletic um, kind of activities since the last show? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really? <laughs> Wait a minute. No, I did. I don't know. It depends on your definition of athletic. Well, I mean, to me, that's very athletic. But maybe to you, okay. it's like just a stroll in the park. No, it was it was definitely athletic. Um, so I should preface. So let's let's set the scene here. So our U.S. listeners and perhaps those worldwide will know that it was our um, July Fourth holiday weekend here. So um, you know our happy treason to us day um, celebration. Good excuse to shoot off fireworks and have get-togethers with friends all and the dogs. barbecues and yeah and run year. run I, I run run. I think they'll live. Oh, um, you mean you don't let off fireworks on New Year? And we do. Your birthday. Well, yeah. Birthday. It's several no. days a year. Birthday of not, our country. Not birthdays. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So anyway, um, uh, I was back in Atlanta this weekend because there is a very large 10K road race that happens there every 4th of July. Um, did not happen last year due to COVID, but it was back this year. They kind of split the field and had, it was probably just over a third um of the participants running on Saturday and then the rest on Sunday. So they actually spread it out over the course of two days uh, in the morning. Um, gorgeous weather this year. Uh, normally Atlanta this time of year, even at six or seven in the morning is already above 80 degrees Fahrenheit with lots of humidity and kind of uncomfortable and miserable um, this year, mid sixties and very little humidity. So that was, that was very pleasant. Would have been better if I had been training better all along for this race. Um, I knew I was a bit undertrained. I, I've just been busy with job change and other things going on. So, um, and there haven't been other big races to kind of motivate me and pull me along to to do what I'm supposed to be doing. So I wasn't really sure how the race was going to go. Kind of had the advantage of I've done it a few times before, so I know the course. I know what to expect. Um, had a game plan, executed that, went out fairly quickly because the course is actually downhill through the first three miles, and then it's mostly uphill the rest of the way with a couple more downhill segments. Um, so we kind of figured I could probably use the downhill to my advantage a little bit, put a little bit of, bank a little bit of time there. I'm not usually too terrible going uphill, so I can usually maintain a bit. Um, but ended up with just a tear. So first mile went great. Went out in like 720 pace for the first mile, which was a little bit faster than I wanted to be. Um, but developed this horrible side stitch in miles mm. two and three and just had a very difficult time getting it to go away. And yeah, I was like, oh man, I'm just going to have to like, so I slowed down, you know, just worked on breathing technique, took a little bit of water. Um, it got a lot better and it always, it's always worse for me on downhills. If it's going to happen, it happens in my downhill running. I think my gait is probably not as effective or I change it up a little bit, trying to 
break myself going on the, the decline. Um, but at any rate, it started back uphill again. That got better. Still took me about a mile to kind of recover, get my heart rate back down, get myself back under um, good control there. And I ended up being about three minutes slower than I was two years ago when I ran my personal best time there. Um, so actually, I think probably for my fitness level, that was about right anyway. Um, 51 minutes for a 10-kilometer race. So that's not not too bad. I'll take it for sure. I just wish I had felt better <laughs> during those two miles because I really did not feel good during those two miles. Yeah, stitches. Um, it's a diaphragm spasm or something like that. It's just a muscle spasm. Yeah. So I'm not entirely sure which muscle. It was just on my side. Yeah. So it was probably just an abdominal wall muscle that was cranky. It was probably a- yeah, That's not fun. Who knows? I don't like that. Yeah. No, no, it's not fun. Um, yeah, skip the run and go to the pub. Well, we did go to the pub <laughs> afterwards. We, um, it's, it's a fun race. So I ran my, my friend Karen that I do a lot of running with always does it every year. She's done, I don't even know how many Peachtree road races, um, probably close to 20 at this point. Um, so that's a big deal for her. Um, so she finished just after me and we collected our stuff and went and met with some of her friends and other acquaintances, um, at Henry's. Are you familiar with that? It's in Midtown right by, um, the park there. Anyway, great brunch. Um, really I was, uh, pleasantly surprised that it was not super packed yet and all the servers seemed really excited to have big parties of people who kept adding on more people to their tables they managed it very well so they must be used to that sort of thing on on yeah definitely i mean we tipped well for sure so i think they did okay um and mike carroll's uh, dispatcher mike ran again as well so that was he had a, he had a really good run uh, we got to see him on his oh was he out uh, of jail already okay good yeah he, he did get released from jail to, <laughs> to be able to run the race uh, no, he had a great run, a big personal best time. So congrats, dispatcher Mike. And um, later in the afternoon and evening, the dispatcher Mike and his uh, family graciously invited me over for um, food and drinks and fireworks. So we we spent the evening with our own little um, um, homemade fireworks show in their neighborhood. And we were joined by a bunch of their neighbors. And that was, that was quite a lot of fun. Um, my thanks to them. They definitely procured quite the um, supply of explosives to celebrate our country's independence with. Yeah, I think Mike has um, a problem. <laughs> we we had a good time. I'll say that much. <laughs> very, very impressive display of fireworks. Mm -hmm. And um, then this morning, I actually I was still in Atlanta this morning. So I went out with um, my friend Karen again. We went to Stone Mountain Park and we did the trail all the way to the top, which is like a mile I mm -hmm. forget how many feet elevation change that is. 800 feet? Maybe? Yeah, it's a good, uh, sure. I don't know. It's a good walk. Though. It's a good hike. I was, it's definitely yeah. steep at the top. I was mm -hmm. surprised and I did not have appropriate, uh, you know, you start the trail. It's like, this this trail is strenuous and we recommend, uh, it's slippery in spots. We recommend appropriate footwear and attire. Were you wearing high heels flip -flops. again? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Flip-flops. Oh, that's not good. So I did the rest. I did the top half of the trail just basically barefoot, which worked out fine. Mm. Um, the, I mean, the... It's interesting. It's a very unique kind of stone, I guess some of it's granite stone formation. Mountain. Yeah. Stone granite. mountain, granite. Mm -hmm. um, but the the rock itself was fairly cool, even though it was approaching hmm. mid-morning already and it was fairly warm. So it wasn't hot on my feet or anything. And it's very, it is smooth. Mm -hmm. So um, it wasn't difficult to walk on without shoes on and, you know, barefoot. It was pretty grippy. I didn't feel unsafe at any point. And then I... Um, collected my stuff and went back to the airport where I had to stand in line with everybody because some genius let their pre-check expire. Um, that genius would be me. So I did not have pre-check um, security screening <laughs> privileges today. 
And I was quite afraid I was not going to make my flight. I don't know <laughs> how you did because those lines are incredibly long. The lines were terrible. They were so, wow. It was, it took me, I'm trying to think how long I was actually in line for. I think I was in line for about an hour. Hmm. And I had only given myself an hour and a half. What? You? Before, You're usually there like well, two actually, or three an hour, hours no, before an hour and a half before <laughs> An hour and a half before boarding the flight. So I still had two hours before the flight. Um, I, had, I still had enough time to get a pizza too oh. before I got on the plane. I had to eat it on the plane because mm-hmm. you know, they basically handed it to me as the flight opened up for boarding. Where'd you get a but pizza? I was right across. Um, Matios? Matt- it's in uh, T T Concourse, T Terminal, oh. right across from T11, T10, oh, T11. Over there in the American side of things, I guess. Yeah. I never get over yeah. that way. It was good. Okay. Hmm. It was good. It was fast. I, I basically just did like the self-order thing and like 10 minutes later, pizza. And I just walked right across the, the hallway to my gate. And then I got on the airplane and flew back to Charlotte. And I basically just walked in the door and sat down here when we started. Well, welcome back. We're glad you made Thank it. You. And Nigel's given me a hard time about yawning and being a little sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel gives a lot of people off. Hard times about things, mm-hmm. right? We love him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sounds like other people are giving him a hard time too. Oh, okay. Uh, well, he deserves it. <laughs> so, anyway, it was a good weekend. It was a lot yeah. of fun. Um, sorry we missed missed you, but I think you were on a trip. Well, I did uh, leave on a trip uh, today. No, yesterday. 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 I have no idea where I am and what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, yesterday. Okay, we, got to the, we got to the gate in Charlotte and the gate, uh, the flight attendant had forgotten which airport we just came from. He goes, if you gate checked your bag in what city were we just in? <laughs> no idea anymore. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it all blurs together. Yeah, I don't blame them on that. Um, yeah, so I picked up this. Um, I didn't have any idea that we had this trip, this five-day trip. Uh, because I usually, when I bid preferences for next month's trips, I, I say, I want to be home on the weekends. This, this trip leaves on Sunday. Uh, and so I completely missed it, but, um, it's a, what it's supposed to do is go to Greenville, Spartanburg and back to Atlanta and then deadhead to rapid city. And that's where I am right now in rapid city, South Dakota. Um, and, uh, was on the trip yesterday. We did the Greenville Spartanburg thing and we were just like talking about how this is, man, I'm just all worn out. Are you? Yeah. I guess we're only going to be able to do a deadhead to rapid city and then be off for the next three days. We shouldn't have made that kind of comment because all of a sudden I hear the, yeah, I hear the printer like making noise over on the first officer's side. That's always a bad sign. When, when I know that none of us printed anything, you know, put the, Push, push the button for printing. I went, oh, no. And then it goes, reroute. I went, oh, you're kidding me. So my airline decided that, well, this is such a great trip and you're not going to be doing much. So we're going to make it a little bit worse. We're going to get a little bit more work out of you. Uh, we're going to have you fly to Louisville, Kentucky. And then on Monday, when you, you were supposed to be in Rapid City, we're going to give you a double deadhead. You're going to go to from Louisville to Minneapolis and then Minneapolis to Rapid City. So that's what we did today. And uh, so here I am. Got in a couple of hours ago, and uh, uh, I'm in South Dakota. Did you have some Dakota. audio from your trip to uh, 
dryad there? Well, um, that was actually the last trip, Liz. She's asking about, do you have any audio from your trip to triad? Well, to, yesterday was uh, Greenville Spartanburg and back, but oh, sorry. last my week, wrong, wrong. and I, oh, I have to correct uh, something I said last week. And you weren't wrong, Liz. I said, I was telling everybody that I thought my penalty lap on my last, you know, the last turn on my trip last week was a Charleston turn. But no, it was not a Charleston turn. It was a Green Greensboro triad, Piedmont triad turn. And so I'm thinking, well, that's kind of the bad. The bad part of that was that where all the, the weather system was like aligned with Atlanta and Greensboro and back. So we had to kind of, you know, dodge convective activity and it was a little turbulent and that kind of thing. But other than that, uh, it was fun because uh, when I got into the uh, triad area, if you're someone who uh, listens to more than one aviation podcast, uh, you might recognize um, AG, uh, one of the uh, co-hosts of that podcast, uh, who happens to be an air traffic controller up up that way. And I uh, thought this is going to be fun. So I'm going to play a little bit of audio now. Um, for those of you listening to the video, uh, there are going to be some breaks here. Um, but when I edit the show, the audio only will I'll remove those breaks so it won't be so painful listening to the silence. But here we go. This is uh, my initial contact coming into Triad airspace. Crickets. County 821 heavy departure radar contact climb and maintain 12000 turn left direct genie. Just want to pause for a moment. I did not recognize Alpha Golf's voice on no, the initial he contact. Sound anything like him? No, it sounds different. No, he's to me. harder to recognize on on the radio than he is on podcast. But so RH my, is easier to recognize. My net, yeah, he sounds more like the way he sounds on the mm-hmm, podcast, like himself. So the next transmission, I believe, will try to clarify this. Twenty six sixty two is uh, AG working today. Yeah, I actually uh, requested to be on position for this VIP movement, and uh, you guys may have a little bit of a delay. They're still rolling out the red carpet. Okay, I understand. That makes sense. Uh, so here's the deal. Uh, we'd like uh, vectors for the ILS-23 left, uh, full procedure, followed by the best, and then uh, maybe the uh, VOR, DME, runway 23 left, uh, to a mess, and then uh, the RNAV 23 left. Can you accommodate that? Do you want the published myths on all of those? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, of course. Dick Tower just called me and said unable, so uh, I was more than happy to accommodate that, but uh, yeah, I guess they couldn't. Okay, well, thanks for trying. I was hoping that somebody else would be listening to this going, was that a... What an airline that just requested an airline all that. wanted <laughs> all three a, a, a scheduled flight? They can't do that, can they? Excellent. <laughs> Your passengers would have loved it. Oh no, <laughs> my company management. Would Your company not have, would not have loved it. No, no, they would have had heartburn. Again, the gap. Sorry. 
actually uh, the second, the last transmission from AG. Then I recognized his. Yeah, voice. me too. Now, he yeah. Sound- then all of a sudden, I go, "Oh yeah. yeah, that is that does sound like AG now." He did something to him. He obviously puts on a professional voice when he's talking to other people. Yeah. So we're like flying along in flight <laughs> at this point, coming in to getting closer to Triad. <laughs> I really wish that I had taken the uh, time to edit this. The um, I think the call sign gave it away a little bit, didn't it? I don't know where that place is. <laughs> Never heard of the it. name of the airport is Triad. I don't know why That's they think true. that it's like a secret or a mystery. It's it's Piedmont Triad. Piedmont Triad. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I would have made up with some other. That was to somebody else. Just when I say that, County Eight Twenty One Heavy, Washington Center One Two Four Point Zero Five. 2662, descend to maintain 7,000. 2662, but when you're listening, That's there's to other them. things going on. Yeah, like you're a lot of things going on. I guess. Here we're just sitting here going. It doesn't sound like a lot is going on, but there are a lot of things going on. Yeah, I wonder if we. Uh, this is twenty six sixty two. Uh, you're going to be able to accommodate the uh, visual today. Is that like the twenty or fifteen mile final point? That'd be like twenty plus. All right, I'll let the center know you're going to go back into the airspace <laughs> and uh, I'll work it out. <laughs> just kidding <laughs> he had he had uh, rh and ag had mentioned that if you guys see the, the field on the downwind you can turn your own base oh okay thank you oh dangerous does, does that I know, mean I was like, that's a lot of we wait i can't see anything but clouds out here now 2662 descent and maintain 6000 okay so 2662 we're continuing down to 6000 because he asked me once a while back, why do you guys fly such long visual approaches? I said, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they named it the in, insert the airline visual, name or, here, yeah. visual approach. <laughs> 2662 to maintain 3,000. 2662 to Just a little bit more, I think. That's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) I resisted. That's what she said. That's what she said. 2662 does have the airport site. 2662, clear visual approach, runway 23 left. Clear the visual to 23 left. 2662, thank you. Now we've given away your call sign as well. Oh. You're just gonna have to like edit all that out. Beep it the, out. Yeah. I'll say, yeah. Back me. <laughs> the and the uh, the town name as well. The location oh, yeah. name. For oh, approach. Sounds like a lot of work stuff. I mean, I'll just cut this whole segment out. 
Okay, we're, we're getting close to the very end of this, I think. Is this where that you crash? That's what she said. <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. She said, no, what she said was, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> what you got? Ooh, for sure or for, for pure? pure? Can you read what it says on the little bit? Citrus oh, IPA. citrus IPA. What? Yeah. It's what gulping. are you doing? Fruity. Do you like it? No, not really. Vibrant <laughs> and zesty. <laughs> no, not I hate really. It. I'm going to continue <laughs> drinking it. <laughs> well, I've opened it now. Yeah. Is your audio be... still playing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Alcohol abuse. You see, it's, when you're flying, it it doesn't feel like it's taking that much time. This is like the longest approach ever. I know. And we were. Well, it does take a while to go on a 20 mile final. No, we didn't do a 20 mile. Now he was flying. I wasn't flying. I was talking on the radio. He went out farther than I would have, but I didn't want to be critical. You, mean you didn't coach him into saying, look, I, you no. need to go like one mile out. Well, turn final. well, well, Make. listen, yes, there is it's actually, coming. This is worth waiting for folks. I a promise. Little, a little it's, bit of chastisement good. coming. Mm-hmm. Sort of like passive aggressive radio communication. <laughs> Just got flying a jet here, man. He's a former Navy Hornet driver and a former U.S. Air Force A 10 driver. So it should be pretty much a perfect visual approach. No pressure. A 10 is what I always wanted to fly, and somehow I ended up in helicopters. Yeah, I, to me, that's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> Low and slow, I guess. Yeah, except for your, you didn't have as big a gun. That's what she said. I did have my 9mm. <laughs> That's sad, actually. 9mm. Okay, now he's going to come back with the. Yeah, I mean, not to add any pressure, but the the heavy 7.6 FedEx that arrived prior to you did turn a one mile base to final. <laughs> I guess it's too late for that. We're turning base now. The 2662. 2662. It has been a pleasure. Contact Tower. Enjoyed it. AG, take care. Yeah. Okay, there you go. I think that was about it. Okay. There you go. Excellent. Sorry it took so long to uh, get through that. But I, I really had a ball uh, having that exchange with uh, AG and on that other, what's it called? Um, missing the bases. Uh, the bases are 2,000 feet. Opposing. What, what's opposing, opposing bases. Opposing bases. Uh, aviation. Bases are loaded. Bases are loaded. That's it. <laughs> a baseball <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Anyway, yes. <laughs> opposing bases. Well, they don't talk much about aviation, do they? Well, occasionally. Yeah, it's a really good show. If you if you haven't listened to their show, you really should, because it's different than our show. It's not as good, of course, but uh, <laughs> no, it's it's good. There's we I learned a lot from listening to them because it's nice hearing nice hearing air traffic controllers who are also pilots, and so they know how to how to express ideas and concepts to those of us who fly the airplane and uh it just uh it helps everyone it's a great podcast and i really uh reluctantly recommend it 
I probably won't get around to doing it, but I do have a question for them that I should probably send in as feedback. You should. Show. So I yeah. will try to remember to do that. Okay. Based on recent flying experiences of my own. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Send I, in that I'd like audio. to hear that. Yeah, definitely do that stuff. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Is I-Hall Boxes with us? He is. Today? Okay. I need to correct something uh, that we were talking about last episode. I misunderstood what I-Hall Boxes had said, and we were talking about seniority. Somebody was asking about, you know, is it a good idea to get hired by a company, you know, and doing other things like ticket agent, ramp worker, that kind of thing. And then uh, I, he said something about, well, there are basically three types of seniority, like system seniority, like you know, overall seniority, base seniority, and whatever the other one was. I forgot. <laughs> Vacation seniority, maybe. Anyway, I said, we don't have base seniority, but I was like, that went completely over my head. I understand now that. So basically when you're base, you are uh, flying a certain type of airplane, let's say in my case, the 717, we also have a Detroit 717 base. So the Atlanta base and the Detroit base, you have relative seniority within that base because you know they're different bases. And then you have relative seniority uh, on the airplane on that base. And then you have relative seniority for the whole pilot group. So it's, it gets complicated, but I understand now what he was trying to say. So sorry about that. I, I, I erred, erred, erred in uh, my statement regarding that. So I hope you'll accept my apology. Yeah, I know. Liz, thanks. Put the below 50%. Oh, you did that. Thanks, Steph. Miss PA. I don't mean public address. (laughs) I know. I know what you meant. (laughs) All right. Probably shouldn't have shown me how to use the uh, banners. I know. Uh, That was definitely a mistake. All right. Well, with that. I, unless there's anything else, sorry that drug on so long, but uh, it is now time for us to do the coffee fund. And I'm actually prepared this week, believe it or not. So let's do this. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. That's too high. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Thanks, Jeff Smith. That is the Coffee Fund Java Jive APG version. Uh, the Coffee Fund is your way to support our show financially in a couple of different ways to do that. One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method. And since the last episode, we've had a few people use that to contribute to the show. Those folks are Paul Gubb, Alistair Kerr, Randy Ackerman, and Mazutz Karim. And again, you can use the Coffee Fund Classic Method to make a one-off donation or recurring donations. Although, I would recommend that you instead consider becoming a patron of the show. That's patreon.com slash airlinepilotguy. And since the last episode, we have a new assistant senior executive producer. Wow, that's a mouthful. In other words, it's like a very high category Hooray! there. Lots of, uh, lots of money pledged per episode. Thank you, William Bain, for becoming an ex- assistant senior executive producer. We do appreciate it. So if you want to check out how you can become a Coffee Fun Cadre member, Coffee Bar Club member, head over to airlinepilotguy.com 
slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. Captain, incoming message. All right. Let's start with uh, this piece of feedback from Rob. Uh, he says, another retirement. And this is Rob Legal. Uh, another behemoth, behemoth gets retired. And then he sends us a link to a simpleflying.com article entitled or headlined uh, FedEx has retired the world's last active commercial MD-1010F. And uh, I thought, oh, okay, all the MD-10s are gone. No, that's not really correct. It's the last MD-10-10F. Uh, Memphis-based logistics giant FedEx has closed the book on a chapter of air freight history. Earlier this month, the company retired the last of its Indeeds and indeed the world's aging McDonnell Douglas MD-1010F cargo aircraft. Let's take a look back at the plane's history. Uh, the world's last remaining McDonnell Douglas, the thing that I've just been saying over and over and over again, made its final journey earlier this month, having been retired by cargo heavyweight FedEx. According to chaviation.com, the aircraft flew from Memphis to Victorville, California, for storage on June 4th. Data from radarbox.com shows that its last revenue-earning cargo-carrying deployment was a round trip from Memphis to Puerto Rico's San Juan Luis, or San Juan Luis Munoz Marin International Airport, SJU. On June 2nd, according to the flight tracking site, its final flight across the U.S. for storage took three hours and eight minutes, arriving at 1620 local time. Anyway, uh, the plane is the last of FedEx final, FedEx's final four MD-1010Fs to have been retired this year. Um, but they still have the MD-10, uh, what, 20 uh, or 30? I think it's a 30-something rather. The, the little bit bigger variant of the MD-10. And uh, if you're wondering, an MD-10, I've never heard of that before. Uh, basically, it's a modification to the DC-10. I think they, uh, they removed the flight engineer position, made it a two-pilot, two-crew kind of a setup, and they um, did some stuff with the avionics and, and uh, the FMS and that kind of thing and modernized it a bit. Got a little bit more life out of these things, but these uh, are not, you know, spring chickens. They're uh, a little bit old. Um, let's see. The MD-10-30F variant remains active. Indeed, the company presently has 13 of this long-range variant in its fleet. However, with a whopping average age of 39 years old, oh, that's old, isn't it, Steph? They also have limited time. I mean, it's basically <laughs> ancient. I don't know why anything that's 39 years old should still be allowed How to could it possibly be still doing be anything fly? useful <laughs> before they follow really up. Old to me. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. So if you're uh, into following these kind of things, looks like um, no more MD10-10Fs, at least. Well, I guess that's it for the world, it says. Mm-hmm. All right. It's all over. And just a little bit longer in the 30s. Yeah. 2023. They'll be gone soon. <laughs> all right. Uh, also, Rob Legal, Legal uh, sent in a link to an interesting video. Uh, he says, I've attached, I found an article talking about the CFM Rise Engine Program. And he says, cue the uh, audio. We're going green. 
We're going green. We're gonna take care of the earth. We're going green. The Going Green Audio. 20% reduction to envision and run in conjunction with environmental friendly fuels, bio, zero E, etc. fuels that will increase. So, uh, yeah, I'm not just, yeah. just say again, yeah. Jeff, 20% yeah. reduction to envision and run in conjunction. I, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that either. means. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Rob, what does that mean? It's not. <laughs> Uh, Maybe there was a typo. It's I don't not know. a great sentence. I was I was doing a uh, an anchorman, a Rob, uh, a Ro- what was his Ber- name? Rob, Ron Burgundy. Ron Burgundy. <laughs> Just read whatever you put up there. That's what it says. I'm reading it. <laughs> I don't know what it means. Anyway, and and this this uh, video I'm not going to play because it's it's not the most exciting video <laughs> uh, no, put out not. by the company. Uh, but basically. Um, what would you call the what it looks like, uh, Nick? The um, these jet it's a in- non-ducted fan. Yeah, I would say it looks like a like a turboprop with like many, many, many gajillion blades, <laughs> like gajillion blades on it spinning around. And uh, yeah, it actually looks like uh, the blender I use in the morning <laughs> to knock yeah. something up for breakfast. Yeah, you're right. It does. Um. Anyway, so I'm going to put a link to that. Uh, YouTube video in the show notes if you want to watch it. And he, uh, Rob ends with, have a good day, IPAs, tailwinds, and go home leg. Not in that order. And then, Rob, you can tell us what you meant by 20% reduction to envision and run in conjunction with environmental friendly fuels. We don't really know. <laughs> that will increase. Yeah. Don't I know. have a funny feeling <laughs> this is one of the um, systems that can run uh, at a high RPM without going supersonic at the no. tips. So. Could be. Can be quite efficient, but just looks mm-hmm. weird. Yeah, and there's something something to do with um, like hybrid electrical energy generation as well. It, it is it, it it's kind of a hard video to watch, but there's some good information in it, so I recommend you watch it. Okay, um, I, I had to. Yeah, yeah I did it, not. <laughs> well, you're a doctor. I wouldn't bother. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, Robert. From Mayretta, not Rob, but Robert, uh, he writes in, um, if you've got room in an episode, here's my take on my 8,015-mile, six-flight, 29-hour, five-time zone, best or hashtag best coast plus hashtag east coast delta field trip last weekend. Now, I don't know if it was actually last weekend or the weekend before he sent this yeah, to us. Before. Yeah, okay. And uh, so he sent us a link to uh, some audio on Spotify. And it's like 30 minutes long, so we really don't have time to play it. Sorry, Robert. Uh, but we're going to talk about it and send people over and link to it on in the show notes. And uh, if you're watching the or listening to the um Audio only podcast. Uh, if you're list, if you're using Overcast or some other, um, uh, or I guess most of the podcasting clients now support chapters, I should be able to click on something there, and it will take you to Robert's uh, Spotify channel, and then you can listen to his adventure. And it, uh, he also has some photos as well that go along with it. So I'll put a link to all of this in the show notes so you guys can check it out. Thanks, Robert. Hope things are going well south of the 
big chicken. Um, Chet or Chet. I always have trouble with that. Is it Chet or Chet? Chet. 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 A hard C-H? Okay. Mm -hmm. Chet. Belarus. Been there. Done that. In Italy. It's a YouTube video. In 2021, Belarus forced down an airliner to arrest a passenger. Sound familiar? It should. In 1985, the United States of America forced down an airliner to Siganella, Italy, to arrest a passenger. I remember the 1985 incident. However, until I watched this video, courtesy of the history guy, I had no idea how complex and tense this incident was back in 1985. Much of it was kept out of the media at the time. In summary, our military forced an Egyptian plane down to land in Italy. We then surrounded it with special forces troops who then found themselves surrounded by the Italian military. This was the first of two armed standoffs. While we were trying to arrest a pirate, we became accused of piracy ourselves. It was very awkward. This video is well worth watching. And I agree, uh, Chad. Uh, So we'll put a link to the uh, video from the history guy, THG, the Siganella incident. And just uh, again, just to summarize, the uh, Achille Laurel, Achille Laurel, uh, Italian cruise liner was hijacked by uh, not a whole uh, like four or five terrorists, yeah. and um, and and they killed a yeah, they killed a passenger, a Jewish passenger, and they right. were um, so anyway. It was a it was a political thing. Um, they were doing this because the uh, passenger was Jewish, and uh, they were trying to make a point uh, against Israel. And I don't know all the details, but it. That's generally what happened, and basically the United States said, we're not going to let these hijackers get away with doing that. And so, yes, the uh, the United States Air Force uh, forced down this airliner, uh, made it uh, land in Italy. And uh, it's an interesting little scenario. Many of you listening to the show right now weren't even probably born back in 1985. Steph was only three years old. Yep. So. But I'm ancient now at 39. We've already established. That's, <laughs> well, I was talking about the, aer- I mean, the airplane. Actually, Not you. Yeah. Well, if they get to retire at 39, can I retire at 39? You can also? if you want. It's all about okay. choices. Yeah. <laughs> Might run out of money. <laughs> well, yeah. Details, details. <laughs> Unimportant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, Jeff, skip number seven. I'll put it over for Rick. Okay. We're going to skip number seven because we're going to save that one for Rick. Uh, Ahmad, oh, we haven't heard from him in a while. He said, uh, uh, hi, uh, crew. I hope you're all doing well. My question is in navigation, I'd like to know which is better, uh, a better type of flight route. Is that the same as a flight plan and why that, that was him asking that question, not me. Um, number one, a route made up of multiple waypoints, such as airways, intersections, and nav aids like VOR, NDB, etc. or number two, a route made of no waypoints, such as a GPS direct route slash path, where uh, the only unavoidable waypoints would be those on the SID or STAR. Oh, uh, I know, sir. Wishing you all clear skies and good runway traction. <laughs> a lot of a lot of <laughs> runway traction incidents, especially in Africa, that yeah, I think w- Ahmad's picking up on. <laughs> well, that, and we had some other traction-ish things. Yeah. Too much friction with no gear and oh yeah, then the whole Halifax. Oh yeah, 
And I don't even think I was talking about that one because. No, he wasn't. I'm just, I'm just thinking about show titles. So I'm like putting all these together. No traction action. No traction action. Liz is, is proposing. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Um, but Nick has an answer to the question. Okay, for, so uh, so yeah, uh, Nick's like, um, what's his name in uh, Welcome Back, Cotter? Me, me, me. Oh, Okay, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, Ahmed, um, yeah, in one respect, a great circle route uh, with no waypoints in is, um, you know, assuming that waypoints would make your great circle w- wiggle is uh, the shortest distance between two points on a globe. But, uh, of course, it, uh, it's a theoretical uh, shortest distance. It doesn't take into, a, into account the movement of the atmosphere. And uh, one thing we are going to be able to, or what we need to do if we're in a long flight, uh, is to ensure we avoid the headwinds and uh, pick up tailwinds. That will actually make our air miles shorter. Um, and make the flight shorter. So from that point of view, you're going to need something better than just a simple great circle route between two points. Uh, so uh, multiple waypoints uh, are really required, and um, that will allow you the flexibility to uh, diverge from your great circle route in order to pick up a nice tailwind or avoid a nasty headwind. So um, a great idea. But uh, not when you introduce the variables uh, of the atmosphere. You know, sometimes you'll hear people uh, like air traffic control thinks they're doing you a favor. Uh, if you have a long flight from, let's say, Atlanta to the West Coast, and they'll say, you know, proceed direct to a point that's like almost a direct um, heading, uh, great circle routing to wherever you're headed. And then you'll hear the response is, no, we need to stay in our flight plan. And you're thinking, huh. That's weird. Why? Why would that be? And then, just as Nick said, the atmosphere changes and the jet stream location changes. I remember when I flew the uh, Alaska, not Alaska, the uh, Hawaiian uh, flights from uh, from Atlanta, the nonstop. Like one week, we'd be going like up over South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, even Southern Canada, and then out over the Pacific and almost approaching the Pacific Islands, I mean, the uh, Hawaiian Islands from the north. And then like the next week or a couple of weeks later, our routing would take us down over southern Texas and northern Mexico and the uh, Baja, California, the Gulf of California, and then approaching the Hawaiian Islands coming in from the southeast. And that was because the winds were more favorable on in each of those scenarios uh, to do that. And it's all about, as Nick just said, air miles, not actual, you know, physical miles that you're tracking on the globe. So there you go. So just thinking about his, so his question is kind of in his uh, topic here. So um, in terms of better for FMS navigation, I guess he's asking about programming things specifically. Oh, is how I kind of took the question. Oh, okay. Okay. but I mean, you know, certainly all those things are valid. I guess you could take into account either way on on how you're going to plan it, um, putting into account atmosphere and winds. I think Nick's trying to say something, but I can't hear what he's saying. Uh, I'll try unmuting. Uh, nowadays, we can download our flight plans um, directly from the company. So the flight planners can 
you know, create all the waypoints they want and jiggle the route around. It, it takes no time at all to uh, download it onto the aircraft. It means you don't have to type it in. So that's no real problem. And, you know, early FMSs were limited in the number of waypoints that you could put in. Nowadays, it's not really a factor. As, and certainly in the future, it won't be. Uh, you know, as memory uh, abilities of FMSs increase. So I don't see any problem with uh, covering the world in waypoints and just picking the ones you want. Yeah. I think the only time you're going to run into that issue is if your airplane is incapable of programming GPS data points or GPS waypoints. I mean, um, so probably thinking about like a lot of GA aircraft or older GA aircraft or um, things like that. But even nowadays with for flight and things like that and some of the Garmin uh, GPS. It's, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, most GA aircraft have got a dodge round uh, airspace more than they're worried about the heads and tailwinds. Um, so, I mean, maybe. I, most, well, <laughs> you try flying in the United Kingdom. I mean, uh, you, <laughs> That's your problem. We got big you open might have spaces here. Wide too. open spaces <laughs> to fly from A to B on a great circle, but. Yeah. That's not going to happen in Europe and many other countries. The fewer waypoints that you, if you have to manually insert each and every waypoint, the fewer, <laughs> the better. The better. Regardless of how much fuel yes. it takes. <laughs> as far as Granted. the perspective yeah. of the pilot. Uh, and then Manually like, inputting a route to Hong Kong was a nightmare. Well, speaking of nightmares, and I think I've mentioned it on this show before, probably a few times, the L-1011 TriStar was like the start of the art, and we did have an FMS, sort of, uh, but we had to insert every point as a latitude and longitude. Oh, It was yeah. not fun. You couldn't no, just say terrible. this point and then the jet yes. route or whatever and the next point, and it just fills it all in. Nope, didn't do any of that. So, um, you know, in that case, if they cleared us direct to the destination, that was great. That was easy. Although you probably still had to program all those things in before they cleared you for all that. But, yeah. Actually, Nigel, uh, the Alta 11 only having nine waypoints is probably not bad considering the guys that had to fly it. They, we could only yeah, hand, handle so remember much. more than that. Yeah. yeah. I think that's right. It was the, uh, the um, uh, Lytton... Um, carousel um uh, irs or ins system the same that i was used to in the 141 same thing nine way pulled a carousel because it went round and round in circles yeah and then if you weren't careful i think i've mentioned this before as well if you weren't careful uh it, it would you'd think that it would make it more sense if after the ninth waypoint it would just keep on going that general direction no <laughs> it would go oh okay nine <laughs> to the next first. one is one and it would turn around and go back to the first waypoint or whatever number one position oh, I love was. It. I love yeah, it was not good. Yeah, anytime the airplane, Great logic. and this is true, I think for all of us, you would agree, you're flying on your whatever flight, and all of a sudden, if the airplane starts making like a 30 degree bank turn, <laughs> you're going, well, that probably is not right. <laughs> I mean, make a little slight turns here <laughs> and there, but if it's making a big honking turn, you're going, uh oh, what's wrong? Turn everything off. <laughs> what did we screw up? Um, anyway, yeah. So I hope that, I think that pretty much answered his questions, yeah, right? I think so. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, Ooh, Jez sent us some audio feedback and he said, audio feedback attached for you. If you have any interest for a future podcast, 
We do. Uh, by the way, if anybody is into the beauty of flying, if you've not covered it already, Cargo Pilot by Christian Van Heist, I don't know if that's proper pronunciation or not, nailed is a wonderful, <laughs> nailed it, wonderful coffee table book of aviation photography, which is stunning. We have talked about that before. Beautiful, beautiful photographs. And he says, hope all well with you all. Take care, Jazz. And here we go. We're going to play his audio right now. Hello, APG crew and fellow APG crew stalkers. This is Jez here from Cambridgeshire in England. During the pandemic, I've been trying to hang on to what vestige of sanity that I have left by flying a virtual sightseeing tour of the States in Microsoft Flight Simulator. I know it's only a game, but the graphics are pretty amazing. It got me to thinking the other day of whether there were any moments of aesthetic beauty that you'd seen during your careers that you would like to share with us, really. Um, I'm talking aviation here, uh, not the bars and strip clubs of Bangkok. I know what the boys and the crew are like. Um, also, even after years flying, do you still get moments that inspire you? It'd be great to hear. As always, thanks for keeping us educated, entertained and amused. Stay safe, everybody. But most importantly, stay sane. The emphasis being the latter two. Entertained and really amused. Does he know us? Oh, I thought about staying sane. Staying it's sane. Like too well, late for that one. Yeah, it's too late for that. <laughs> it was, We're gone. That was never on. Too far gone. On the table to begin with. What about you, Steph? What uh, do you have any? Uh, see any just amazing uh, things of beauty and your flying, other than seeing yeah, yourself in the, the mirror? Well. I do have a, oddly enough, uh, in our aircraft, we do have a rear view mirror. Oh, um, there you go. Because you want to see people. <laughs> Second. Uh-huh. No, just kidding. <laughs> I do need to see what's happening back there, though. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I was actually having this conversation with someone else the other day, Jez. Um, we were I was searching for a photo of something, and I was talking with another pilot, and um we were both commenting on how our camera rolls on our phones are just filled with all of these pictures of things that we've seen from the air and somehow that never will, it'll never get old. You know, there's, there's always something different. There's always something dynamic, even if you're doing a lot of your flying in the same place over and over again, you know, the, um, definitely a fan of different, um, meteorological, um, events and phenomenon. So just different cloud formations and the way that the light comes through oh, or filters through the clouds to the ground sometimes, or the, the amount of haze that's in the air that creates really nice colors at sunrise or sunset. Um, it doesn't always have to be a landscape that you're looking at that, that provides for nice visuals or aesthetic beauty. Um, but I, you know, I do a fair amount of travel as well and flying all over this country and when we're able to into other parts of the world. And, um, I'm that person who's always got my, my window shade open. Um, I can think of very few times when I've actually closed it, especially during daytime flights. Um, yeah, I just, I like to look out the window and see the, the world below me. It's all pretty, you know, um, there are very, very few places in the world that are not beautiful. I was going to say it lame, but I was thinking about a family <laughs> show here, but yes, it's cloud porn. Yeah. Hashtag cloud porn. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it just never gets old. I know what Nick is doing. Nick is Searching looking through his um, his library of <laughs> photographs, and he's going to show us probably some beautiful. Well, I was trying to, but they're yeah. in the wrong format. Uh, I just tried to upload a couple, and they wouldn't go. So, uh, uh, yeah, if I thought about it beforehand, I'd, I'd have done it. Let me guess. But, uh, I no, bet they some... have. They probably are very similar to what uh, Steph was describing. That clouds 
is it, clouds are one of mother nature's just awesome things, especially when sun or moonlight hits it in a certain way. And the colors that uh, sometimes are produced are just jaw dropping. Go ahead. They are. You're quite right. But there are some places in the world where the scenery beneath you is uh, is quite remarkable. And I would quote places like the Sahara Desert, which uh, you think would be uh, brown and sandy. It's not. It's, it's red. It's got amazing um, geological features there that look like massive rivers and tributaries and uh, escarpments, cliffs, uh, you know, all sorts of incredible um, things that you can gaze at while you're transiting um, uh, that, you know, you, w- you just wouldn't believe would be in the middle of what you kind of assume is a flat, sandy desert. It's not like that at all. And uh, the Australian uh, gaffer is um, similar. Um, for those not familiar, it stands for the Great Australian Airfall um so there but there is lots out there it's not actually full of nothing it's full of the most amazing um uh, geological features uh iran is a fantastic country to fly over when you're up in the in the wilds of it because um you know it's it, you, particularly when the sun is low and it's a little bit misty and you're casting great shadows over these huge mountain ranges and you can see it all coming out in 3D. Greenland is another favorite, just just stunning when you uh, fly over Greenland. Often you get the cloud over the whole of the damned Atlantic, and you arrive at Greenland, and all of a sudden it, it, the cloud stops, and now you just see the glaciers and the mountains and huge sheets of ice. Just, uh, just fantastic. There's no doubt about it. Uh, we're sometimes extremely privileged to uh, have sat and gazed at the world from our magnificent seats. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, we and sometimes it's easy to take all that for granted, and uh, we really shouldn't because we get to see things that a lot of people or most people in the world never get to see. So it's a... It's an amazing yeah. world. Anyway, I, I'm going to send Jeff some of my favorite pictures, which he might be able to upload. Uh, yeah. on to the I'll show send you notes. some of a few of mine too, because I've, I've got some, some good ones, especially, you know, um, areas over like the Rocky Mountains and mm-hmm. those types of places. Very interesting. Cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. We'll put them in uh, the note that uh, the feedback note that we just covered. Thank you, Jazz, for. Uh, the question and uh for those listening make sure you check out the show note uh for these beautiful pictures that we're going to post and with that it is about the time of the show where we uh entertain oops the beer is talking again sorry uh where we uh have the installment of the old pilot's plane tales and this week's is uh, part two, and I'm looking forward to this one. I'm not sure what the rest of the crew uh, submitted for um, check-in confessions. Part two, the bad and the ugly. Here we go. The old pilot's plain tales. Check-in confessions part two. The Bad and the Ugly 
From part one of this tale, you might recall that I was talking about a lovely hotel in Hong Kong, but it was a destination where the company was always shifting hotels and looking for the best deal. The Lowe's included a dreadful Chinese-run hotel in Hong Kong, which turned out to be the place where the SARS pandemic of 2002 was spread from a single guest originating from Guangdong to Vietnam, Canada, Singapore, Taiwan, and all around Hong Kong. Worse than being the point of origin for the worldwide spread of this deadly virus was the Sip Sip Bar. Not so much the bar itself, where we always got half-priced drinks, but the entertainment that arrived at 8pm sharp and inevitably drove us out for a meal. It consisted of an elderly couple, a frail-looking gent sporting a dyed black comb-over, playing a cheap electric organ on matching spindly legs, and his plump partner, whose makeup was thicker than the plaster on your wall and who sang like a harpooned whale. No, as bad as this was, this wasn't our worst hotel. I'll call that hotel by the nickname given to it by our crew, the Transylvania. New York is a noisy and vibrant city, which makes getting rest amongst the frequent screaming sirens of emergency vehicles and the bellowing horns of trucks something of a problem. Although the Transylvania was ideally positioned near a famous basketball court, the shopping haven of Macy's, and more importantly, only a couple of blocks from B&H Photo, it had seen better days, much better days. The hotel was in danger of being demolished, so nobody was keen to invest in any kind of refurbishment. It remained a dingy and grubby shadow of its former self. In its heyday, it had been a venue for many famous music artists, such as the Dorsey Brothers, Woody Herman, Count Basie, Duke Ellington and the Glenn Miller Orchestra, to name just a few. Now it was more popular with the ladies of the night, who offered a different kind of entertainment. The rooms were tiny and the windows dirty, which wasn't really a problem as most of them seemed to face brick walls. There were, however, still signs of its former glory in the impressive columns that framed the main entrance and the gleaming patterned floors, but its stained walls, drab colours and worn furnishings were in dire need of improvement. The rooms were equipped with the ubiquitous window-mounted air conditioning units that frequently iced up and chugged like an ancient John Deere tractor. On my very first visit, during a warm spell, I let myself into the small room which smelt dank as well as being hot and humid. I changed quickly to meet the crew for a few drinks before bedtime, turning the air conditioning on so that the air might be more comfortable for my return later. When I came back, I was met with a wall of hazy smoke and a temperature that felt like the Sahara Desert. Something in the aircon unit had failed, and it was clanking away, churning out fumes and threatening to catch a light. 
coughing, I turned it off, grabbed my suitcase and exited Toot Suite, heading to reception to negotiate a replacement room. Needless to say, customer service wasn't high on their list of priorities, and it was an hour or two before they could find me a room that matched the squalor of my previous one. Under threat of closure for decades, I understand that this den of iniquity finally shut its doors a year ago. I wonder where all those poor cockroaches will go now. Captain Jeff's most unusual layer of experience was when his crew was walked to another acceptable accommodation while on a layover in Louisville, Kentucky. You may recognize the city as the host of the annual Kentucky Derby horse race, the first leg of the American Triple Crown. The city is very busy during that weekend and the week that precedes it. Their regular layover hotel spot could probably charge much more for its rooms than the contracted airline room rate, and the hotel was well within its rights to relocate them to another property, as long as it was a reasonable distance from the airport. Jeff was still very new at Acme on that trip, sometime in the early 90s. He was either a 727 flight engineer or a very junior first officer at the time. Although it was quite a rare thing, he'd experienced the walking treatment before, and it usually involved a very similar hotel property to the one that had been originally planned. This time, however, was different. They were picked up by the hotel's van, and the driver informed them that they would be staying at an alternative lodging location. Jeff recalls that they drove through residential areas, past beautiful parks and a cemetery. Then, some sort of huge complex with beautiful old buildings appeared, a peaceful setting. The van stopped in front of what he thought to be some kind of retreat centre, located not far from a gorgeous chapel. When they entered and were shown to their rooms, he thought this, this was a kind of convent for visiting religious folk. The rooms were tiny, with a single twin bed, a desk and a small, tiny bathroom attached. No television, no radio, no telephone, and this was before the dawn of cell phones. They had to hike quite a distance to find somewhere to eat, or did they have sandwiches and chips for us in the kitchen area of the building? He honestly can't remember. Although the pastoral grounds were lovely, he kept wondering if this place was even legal for them to stay at. Did it meet their pilot contractual requirements? He still wonders, even to this day. Legal or not, he admits that it was a most restful layover. Looking back on it, he believes that they were actually staying at the Bellamine College, now a university, a private Catholic college located in the Belknap neighbourhood of Louisville. And the cells they were staying in probably one of the dormitories of the school, which had just emptied, as the college had just ended its spring semester. Captain Rick's story starts thus. 
nestled along the banks of the Ohio River, Cincinnati has lots to offer, from its Chile and Goetta to its picturesque parks and iconic skyline. But once upon a time, the Queen City was home to the worst layover hotel in his network. The culprit was built as the Stufa's Cincinnati Inn in 1968 to meet the demand for modern, efficient hotel accommodation, resulting from the opening of the Convention Center in the same year. At the same time, it was the first hotel erected in downtown Cincinnati since the opening of the Terrace Plaza in 1948. During its heyday in the 70s and early 80s, it was the go-to place with its outdoor swimming pool, many amenities, podium roof and very popular top-of-the-crown restaurant atop the 32-storey tower. From here, your dinner party had a panoramic view of the city and the emblematic 49-storey Art Deco Carrot Tower, completed in 1930. Nearby was the adjoining Netherland Plaza Hotel, a favourite of many guests of note, from Bing Crosby to Sir Winston Churchill, Eleanor Roosevelt, Elvis Presley, and even John Jackie Kennedy. By the time Rick, through no fault of his own, started making this the place he rested his weary head at the end of a 14-hour non-stop flight from some far-off destination, the former Stufas had seen a very steep decline. Now under the Millennium Hotel's brand, it was a shadow of the place it once was. Everything looked tired, dated and old, despite the cleaning and engineering staff's best efforts. They tried to keep the tired old husk of a building looking good, but one can't stop the passage of time without a very heavy injection of capital which the proprietors were not about to provide. Add to that the decline of downtown Cincinnati as a whole, and sadly there was absolutely no saving the place. The beds were hard and the linens rough, the carpets throughout were dirty, and what sticks in his mind was the very odd two-inch gap between every door and the floor, providing less than zero privacy and safety from random passers-by who would make their way along the poorly staffed lobby and up the elevators to any floor of their choosing. The property closed its exhausted old doors in 2019, and with that, ended the crew stories of oddities, fatigue calls and chest press workouts with a £50 dumbbell in one hand and a £40 one in the other. Steph tells me that there are occasionally times when she has a hotel booked for her, either for a work function or by a well-meaning friend doing their part in vacation planning. She has a couple of examples when this has resulted in a less than enjoyable experience. Sometimes her day job involves some instructing, which takes place at a subspeciality medical society's headquarters in the Chicagoland area, and typically she's booked into a hotel room at a conveniently located Marriott brand property just across the parking lot. She stayed there a fair number of times, and whilst it's nothing fancy, it's generally acceptable. 
One time, however, it was a busy weekend with a wedding booked there as well, and all the rooms were apparently sold out. The wait at reception was long, but no big deal. She was eventually checked in, given a room, and she remembers taking the elevator to the third floor, turning left down the hallway and swiping the keycard to unlock the door. The door had barely cracked open when she was immediately smacked in the face with a strong stench of stale cigarettes. With that alone, she knew she wouldn't be staying in that particular room, but decided to take a look around anyway. She was astounded with the less than salubrious state of the room. This particular hotel had small suite-like rooms with a desk and couch, as well as a kitchenette area. The tables and furniture had all been moved towards the middle of the room, away from the walls or into any other layout that would make some sort of sense. The kitchen sink and countertops had dried food stuck to them. On the table there was a small pile of fine white crystalline substance, which she was hoping was just spilled salt. The bathroom toilet was running continuously, and there was mildew and mould around the main window where water had clearly been leaking in for some time. The bed, astonishingly, was made, but she didn't dare pull back the covers for fear of what she might see. She returned to the front desk to let them know they needed to find a new room for her and to perhaps consider cleaning, fumigating, completely gutting, or remodelling the one she had just seen. The information that there were no other rooms since the hotel was sold out was far from welcome. She reminded them that she was there on another company's dime and would be happy to notify them of the unacceptable conditions as well as have them contact the hotel to ask why one of their instructors, a physician no less, was reeking of cigarette smoke. Magically, another room immediately became available, on a completely different floor and away from the wedding merrymakers. Hopefully just a one-off occurrence at this particular hotel, as she expects to return there one day. As an aside, I hope none of the staff are listening. Her other least favourite hotel experience was a number of years ago in Las Vegas. She was in town for a weekend of fun with some friends from medical school. One of them had asked her to stay with them and was quite insistent on staying at the Imperial Palace Hotel due to its convenient location on the Strip and the fact that she was able to get a Strip View room at a good deal. I'm sure Captain Jeff would have loved that room. She arrived without too much hassle, but while waiting to meet in the lobby, she witnessed an all-out brawl in one of the hotel's restaurants, the Geisha Bar. Off to a good start, and it was still the middle of the day. Anyway, they finally met, made their way up to the hotel room, which her friend had already checked into. In the elevator, Steph asked what the view of the lights and sights of Las Vegas was like. Did they live up to the advertisement? And her friend's response was a bit like, well, you'll see. It turned out that the room did have a nice balcony facing Las Vegas Boulevard, but the view was all but completely obscured by one of the giant A's of the Imperial Palace signage. 
Later that evening, after they'd had their fill of food and gambling, they came back to the room in the hopes of a decent night's sleep. However, in addition to facing the street, even though they were some 10 or 15 stories up, they were also directly above a dance club, which played music loud enough to feel. Mercifully, it stopped around 3 a.m., and they finally fell asleep, only to be woken at five by the shrieking of the hotel fire alarm. She does vaguely remember having a good time on the rest of their trip, but the hotel was so terrible that those details have stayed with her ever since. Like everything in Bacus, nothing stays the same for too long. The hotel is now called the Ling, but she's not sure a change of ownership will ever convince her to go back. And there was me thinking, Steph, that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. My thanks to the crew for their lovely memories, or perhaps not so lovely. Yeah, not so lovely. Well done. (laughs) Not so lovely. Well, mine was not really that bad it was just unusual yeah not like the uh most of yours (laughs) yeah fortunately those are really the only two that stood out in my mind mostly i've had good hotel experiences if not just neutral but those two well i think i think if uh you know you go to one of those uh parties or something and uh you tell anyone you know the worst thing you can do is telling me you're an airline pilot and immediately they come out with their worst travel story you've ever heard and i'm sure hoteliers are exactly the same all people oh, sure. want to tell them of the dreadful experiences they've had no one wants to congratulate them for running a fantastic hotel which is a bit of a shame but uh, there you go well we did share our good stories too so we did Plenty absolutely so they i do think exist. We, we had a yep. good balance we did. But it was, a fun, it was admit, a fun time. The idea of staying in that monk cell uh, was must have been quite interesting, Jeff. I noticed you had a a piece of wood as a pillow. That's novel. That was not my picture. I don't know where you got that. But, uh, <laughs> I, I looked at that and I went, what is I was, that? <laughs> I was actually sad you didn't include the picture I sent you of my friend and I standing in front of the A sign. And I think you picked the correct one there, too. I think that's the room we were probably in. <laughs> <laughs> I actually to tell the truth um I um lost those pictures I, oh, no. when I was trying to do them oh, so okay. yeah. uh, I I I can see you in there yeah. I, I saw her out there waving Yeah you see me there like that <laughs> Yeah, yeah that, Well you um, managed so that, to break the sign all right yeah. yeah Yeah well that sounds about right for that place too um <laughs> not surprised that the lighting wasn't working but that you can see that gold like sphere there that's the club that was making all the noise yeah. um, right yeah. okay So were, were the lights, were, were there's a lot of light, was there a lot of light coming in from those lights into your room or? No, because the lights are only on the outside. Okay. Okay. It's just metal on the back. Kind of, I was thinking about uh, one of the episodes of Seinfeld when uh, I think it was uh, Kenny Rogers chicken or something like that. The the big sign for, for that was like shining into his oh, yeah. room. It was like bright <laughs> red. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So many, so many oh, memories of fun. Seinfeld. What a great show. Fun time. Yeah. I've got a few more, actually. I think I might write uh, something for the Patreons. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. All righty. Well. I think we're going to have a little shorter show today. I built in some Wikipedia time, and 
Oh, Liz is saying that she thinks it'll be a little bit of a shorter show today because she built in some Wikipedia time. <laughs> the Wikipedia is not here. So, uh, yeah, but that's okay. I, I, yeah, let, that's I right. bet people will actually welcome a shorter show on occasion. It's not going to be that much shorter. We're already at like two and a half hours, right? That's true. Yeah, almost, I certainly yeah. Yeah, Almost two and a half. Yeah. Um, Looking outside here, it looked it started getting a little dark looking, and then I just saw a big bolt of lightning, a little thunderstorm activity <laughs> okay, out here in Rapid City, here. South Dakota. Why is it called Rapid City? Is there a rapid there? I well, there's the Rapid River, and I think that uh, it's Rapid County, so it's the city around all those rapid things. And I would imagine that okay. maybe the river um, has some rapids in it. I don't know. Really, don't know the answer to it. Although I have noticed that people are walking around very quickly. (laughs) Yeah, and they're wrapping a lot. Is there rapid transit? No, there's no rapid transit. (laughs) Anyway. No wrapping. (laughs) Anyway, good segue here, Jeff. Speaking of signs and stuff. Speaking of signs and stuff, let's do number 10. Larry um, (laughs) says... This is, um, okay, another rooftop sign, and this is more recent down under, and he sent us a, us a link from the independent.co.uk uh, about uh, something going on in Western Australia. Uh, oh, actually, no, it's in, um, it's in Eastern Australia, but the sign would make you think that perhaps you were in Western Australia. Uh, and he says, T38s, Douglas, and... Uh, uh, he has a little asterisk here that uh, the T-38s, uh, the T-38 was called the Talon. So it's his way of saying Talons, oh, Douglas. Very good. Uh, so that's uh, Larry Geezer. So the Welcome to Perth rooftop sign scares passengers flying into the Sydney airport. And uh, the sign was inspired by a similar prank in Milwaukee in 1978. So we're looking at the overlay right now. Uh, out the window, I guess on final or short final, flying into Sydney's uh, international airport, a welcome to Perth sign painted on a building rooftop is scaring flyers descending to Sydney airport into thinking they have been flown to the wrong Australian city. Uh, the prank was spotted by a passenger coming into land at the country's busiest airport and shared on Reddit. The building in the Sydney suburb of Sydenham is directly on the flight path. The building owner, Brad Heesman, told Australia's traveler he has been quietly waiting for someone to notice it since painting it three months ago. (laughs) Again, an industrial road paint, which makes it highly visible. It had become a prank among friends and clients, he said. Mr. Heesman said he was inspired by the Welcome to Cleveland prank, which was painted on the rooftop of a building on the flight path into Milwaukee International Airport in 1978. (laughs) I just I, think, love it. I just figured there was no reason I couldn't do the same thing, and it'd make people laugh. He said. One Reddit user commented, "The prank was some high quality IRL trolling, I guess, in real life." In right? real life, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another said wittily, "Imagine their disappointment when they realize it's Sydney." <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, Perth is a beautiful city, is it? I've never been to uh, Perth. I've been to Sydney. A oh, it's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous, yeah. Interesting. Thanks, Larry, for sending that in. Again, you can check out these photos in the show notes. And, uh, oh, here's some audio feedback. Um, Let's take a listen, and uh, it'll be self-explanatory. 
Hello, APG crew and community. My name is LaDawn Taylor. Uh, you guys are probably going to butcher my name, which is all right. Everybody usually messes it up um, the first time they say it. It's uh, LaDawn. I'll find it amusing. Don't worry. Yeah, but it's he spells it L-Y-D-O-N, so I can kind of understand why people might mispronounce. Uh, Leiden. Leiden. That's what I would have said. Anyway, he all continues. Right. Right. about it. I am uh, from New York, born, and uh, half-raised. I've jumped around a lot, moved around a lot, um, but I'm currently living in New York. Uh, I go to school in Massachusetts, however. It's, I'm going to my second year at Bridgewater State University, uh, so that makes me 19 years old. Um, I've been flying for about five years. I just checked my logbook. I have about 93 hours. I'm still a student pilot working on my private pilot's license. I'm a stage check and a check right away from my private pilot's license. Um, currently flying at Alpha One Aviation here in Poppy Yankee Mike, Plymouth, Massachusetts. Um, onto the podcast. I've been listening since last summer. I usually pop in the headphones at work while I'm cleaning and I listen to you guys at first. I was uh, just tuning in for the news, but then as time went on, I started getting hooked on to the plain tales and the getting to know a segment. Um, now I usually listen to the podcast whenever I'm driving anywhere long, um, usually on my drives to and from school. Uh, it's usually about three hours and 30 minutes, so you guys are good things to listen to. Now I've gotten to the point of APG syndrome where I'd like to send in uh, audio feedback. And now it's also a dream for me to be a guest on the show. Hopefully one day that could happen. Um, I think it'd be great to have a younger look on aviation and somebody who's coming fresh out of, tra- out of their training for private. Um, but here are some questions I have for you guys. It's actually scenario-based um, from a channel on channel from somewhere on Instagram actually um, 73 handbook just going to run through this um, you are departing London Gatwick runway 26 left at night in IMC conditions wet runway and at 110 knots you hear electrical switching and the FO says, uh, FO's display goes blank and it seems like a total loss of AC failure your V1 is 145 Will you stop or go? I found that interesting, and I'm wondering what you guys have to say about that. And hopefully you guys go off on a nice little tangent. Um, Thank you for everything, and keeping my love for aviation um, steady. Once again, hopefully I can be a part of the show one day. Thanks for everything. See you around. Sorry for the long feedback. Never, never be sorry. And speaking of the Black Hills of South Dakota, I'm looking out the window here. It's really pretty. Oh, that's a little bit more. Would you like to know a, why it's was, called? That was a little bit more of a tangent than I was expecting. It's <laughs> <laughs> quite the tangent. Would you like like to um, complete the tangent and come back to the audio feedback question? Oh yeah, um, sure. Real quick though, the reason it's called Rapid City is because it was named for the spring-fed Rapid Creek that flows through town. There you go. It makes sense. And now you know. Yeah. And, but that, I don't, was that his question about Rapid City? No. No, no. (laughs) That was my question. How did he know that I was going to be in Rapid City? This is a smart guy. (laughs) Well, you know what? 
He's a lot younger than we are, apparently. <laughs> yes. That's all geezers. So the question, you know, honestly, I don't remember exact the, the exact scenario, but maybe one of you can. So what was the scenario? I wasn't paying enough attention at first. It was departing London Gatwick on and something one about of their 145. Runways. Two oh. six left. Okay. Two six left. Okay, Nick listened. Good. Okay, what? Yeah. And uh, he was a hundred, hundred and ten knots or something, and he the FA lost his uh, his um, glass display, his um, main display, mm-hmm. and uh, then we somehow inferred there was a total AC failure. Oh, now if there'd been a total AC failure, everyone would have lost their displays probably. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and the you. Reject speed is 140-something knots. So you've got 30 knots to think about it, whether mm-hmm. you're going to stay or go. So uh, what do you do? Hmm. Well, uh, the way I brief uh, our uh, rejected takeoffs uh, would not fit any of the requirements of the in that, that regime, that high-speed regime, uh, because it's not a fire on the airplane. Uh, it's not, um, a, uh, engine failure. It's not, um, a, a precautionary or, a, a wind shear, uh, precaution or warning, uh, predictive wind shear. And I, in this case, I guess it depends on the airplane, but I don't think most airplanes, it would be unsafe to continue the takeoff, even with a complete electrical failure. Now that I guess it may depend on the airplane you're flying, but I'm not on my airplane. Uh, I would I would keep going, but it might be different different no, you, on Airbus. You don't have electrics; you have steam. Don't yeah, you? that's right. We don't use electricity. It's coal power. <laughs> yeah, I thought it's so. Coal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oil, I think nowadays, yeah. isn't it? fossil fuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a, the it's Mad a, Dog was coal. It's a step mm-hmm. up from yeah. Yeah, it's a, a little bit more modern. From the Mad Dog. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're you're a lucky man, but uh, having driven nothing but electric airplanes for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, major electrical problems are a hassle. Uh, the thing is that uh, you're unlikely to get, uh, I mean, just the FO losing his displays. I'm going, well, I don't care. I, yeah. I can fly the takeoff, even if I'm a pilot monitoring. I can take control, continue the takeoff. And you're quite right, Jeff. Uh, once we're above 100 knots, that's the high speed abort situation. You're only going to stop for. A, an absolutely critical emergency, you know, definite proof that it's more dangerous to get up than it is to stay down. Um, um, fires, uh, you know, double hydraulic failures, uh, things that are really uh, a nightmare scenario because stopping the airplane from high speed can in itself be uh, a major problem. So uh, you've got a full set of standby instruments that will work off DC and we're all capable of flying a full flight on standby instruments i mean good lord they're so good mm-hmm. that you know in the old days they're better than the primary instruments that right. people <laughs> used to have so true i'm going uh, it might be an unusual scan uh mm-hmm. you might not be used to it you might decide that it's not worth going halfway around the world in that <laughs> situation in which case uh, you're probably going to uh, turn it around and come back. But even on a fully electric aircraft with no electricity at all, you can still are being generated by the engines. I mean, all the APU, that's always an alternative. Uh, you, you still get 30 minutes out of the battery, so you can uh, you know, can swing the airplane around, put it back on the ground in 10 minutes. So 
uh, there really is no danger. Um, I would get it airborne, uh, climb it up to a safe altitude, uh, have a think about it, um, go through the drills and try and recover whatever electrical systems have failed uh, whilst you're spinning it around uh, the pattern and deciding whether to uh, throw it back on the ground again. But I see no problem in continuing the takeoff. I don't either. What do you think, Steph? I concur. No, I concur. I mean, it it doesn't sound to me. uh, So my thing that I think the key in this question, did he say this came from, this came from some sort of study guide he was looking at or something along those lines? Uh, You know, I think the, the key there is that 110 knot um, speed that they're already at. And like you all said already, it's, there's not a immediate uh, threat to the aircraft, not being able to fly at that point. So um, Instagram channel, I think Liz is saying. Oh, I'm Instagram sorry. channel. Yeah, you've yeah. got your stand. So my thought was, you've got stand as long as you've got your standby instruments there, and there's no other threat to the airplane being able to actually fly. I would not abort the takeoff there for that, and no. I don't fly jets, but that's just me. Yeah, but another thing is like, okay, that full electrical failure. How is that going to affect the reject? You know, and the the stopping of the airplane. I mean, you know, you just have to. There are a lot of decisions you have to make very quickly, and that's why they try to distill it down to. Like in my case, uh, you know, the, the big four, um, you know, once you get into that, for me, it's 80 knots for Nick and the Airbus, maybe a hundred knots. Uh, and then once you're, once you've hit that threshold, then something really bad has got to happen. And believe it or not, a full electrical failure at night would be kind of seem like a pretty big deal. It would be, but it wouldn't be a big enough deal to, to, to abort the takeoff. No. (laughs) All right. Good. We're all in agreement on that. All right. And we're sorry about your your, uh, APG (laughs) syndrome. Ladon. I know. I did that on purpose. Thank you, Ladon. Let us know know how the rest of your flight training goes and when you've passed that check ride, please. And um, yeah, of course. We're always interested to know how our younger listeners get on with their careers. And honestly, keeps us young. Captain Nick is kind of getting a little old. So we're we're looking at a replacement. So we might be giving you a call. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just you have to be invited. You don't get to invite yourself, old chap. <laughs> but what's funny about what he said was uh, that is really uh, interesting. It's a very common way for people either to become hosts of someone else's podcast or to create their own podcast is by getting so involved in somebody's show and sending an audio feedback and that kind of really become engaged that uh, after a while you Ladon's thinking to himself you know I could do better than these guys do maybe I uh, maybe I could be on yeah. their show you probably can you probably can but we don't want to dwell on that based on the last show yeah <laughs> hey Liz I don't need to t- hear about the last show <laughs> <laughs> last show was entertaining and amusing it not was, for me, very. but for, for the listeners right. <laughs> and watchers. And not representative of our normal quality. <laughs> no, thank goodness. Aberration. Yeah, it was an aberration for sure. Um, here's one from Robert um, at uh, YY Yankee Yankee Charlie. Where is that? <laughs> Calgary. Alberta. I know it's Calgary. Up, It's one of those Canadian things. You know, Canada has a Y, right? No. Yeah. Um, Kennedy. Why? Why? Yeah. No. Oh, Calgary. Yeah. I thought I would Probably share this unique photo from Calgary WestJet's hub, where the large Antonov cargo jet stops from time to time. 
Uh, curious what the crew might know about the large cargo jet, as in what it usually carries, who operates it, and what routes it usually flies. Um, and then he gave us some links, and there's a picture up on the uh, video of the uh, big uh, Antonov 124. And he gives a link to the Antonov 225 uh, Maria, uh, Maria, 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 I'm not sure how you pronounce Maria. that. Um but this is uh, this is the one that only has four en- only only four engines. Uh, the uh, two twenty five is six, and I think it has a twin tail, right? Um, yes. Yeah. So uh, this is the one twenty four. Still a big airplane, and I think uh, Vol is it uh, Vol- Volga Volga Dnieper. Volga Dnieper. I can't pronounce it right. There's yeah. too many consonants and not enough vowels. Right. Um, but they they have like a bunch of them. Something like. 10 to 15 of those things, I think, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. And I think, is it, is it just Antonov Airlines that operates the 225? I think so. Well, I don't know. It's a little different. I have no idea who, who flies. There's only one of them. So we should probably know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but uh, as far as it, the cargo it carries, these 120, I think it really, it, it depends on who's hiring them to carry stuff. I think they carry pretty much a, a lot of outsized cargo stuff that won't fit in any other airplane, or you probably have to put it on a ship or something like that. But if you need it a lot faster then um, you put it on this thing, I think one of the most unusual things, oh, it had go. like a big giant crane that they somehow stuffed in there. Like one of the world's largest, um, I don't know what kind of, you know, a like crane, like the, what do you call this thing? Lifting thing. thing. Lifting crane. Yeah, crane. Thing. Here, if you want to know what Wikipedia thinks about it, they said over the past 18 years, they have transported gigantic excavators. How about that? Mm, um, and yachts, missile launchers, airplanes, helicopters, elephants, and whales, entire mini factories mm. and power plants. The latest release of um, some sort of wine and unique museum collections. Uh, they deliver heavy machine uh Building oil and gas, uh, or heavy That's equipment what for in Calgary, heavy the machine oil building gas. oil and gas and oh. aerospace sectors. So, they actually transported the entire um Japanese experiment module for the International Space Station from Japan to um the Kennedy Space Center in Florida at one point. Huh. Um, interesting stuff. Liz is saying that's but probably why they're things. in Calgary because there's a lot of oil and gas industry right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Volga Dnieper has yeah, 12, of of them, gas in 12 124s. Ooh, I pretty much nailed that, Liz. Um, I guessed between 10 and 15, and they have 12. Volga uh, Dnieper has 12 of them. Um, I think I learned that from, yes, above 50%. <laughs> I think I um, learned that from the uh, when we were talking about that one that had the uh, in, the number two engine mm-hmm. explode, mm-hmm. and yeah, they just barely got the thing back on the ground and ended up going off the end of the runway. But Everybody mm-hmm. lived through it, and and I don't think there were any injuries and all. Um, and that's when I I think that was a Volga de, de um, uh and uh, one twenty four. Anyway, so that's what we think. Um, Robert, south of the big chicken, May Retta. Um, let's do this last one here, and then shut her down. What do you think? This is um, right. from Chris. And he says, how high are power lines? He goes, hi, this might make Nick laugh. Attached as a video of a power line getting repaired via a helicopter. It's common Sorry, to use I heli- just added this today, Jeff, so you don't have the video. I, I, I do. I have it. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. thanks. Um, 
Attached is a video of a power line getting repaired via a helicopter. It's common to use helicopters to repair or maintain power lines because they are so high. Definitely not my kind of job. Yikes. Cheers. This is Chris Eidsvik in Scandinavia. No, Canada. Scandinavia. Canada. Scandinavia. The Great White North. All right. So I do have the uh, videos. Let's take a, take a look here and see if uh, Nick is going to laugh. Get ready to laugh. Get ready to laugh, Nick. <laughs> Wait, no, no. Too soon. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> he doesn't follow directions well. <laughs> no. I, I, okay, yeah. here we go. Open. And. Why is it not playing? Oh, there it is. Uh oh. Something's starting up. Now, it's kind of a long video, so I'm going to I'm gonna kind of jump ahead. Okay. Oh, it's kind of loud, too. It's pretty yeah. loud. Yeah. Ah. Hang on. Ah. Stop. Okay. You know, I think when I when I downloaded this video, I I, I didn't have the volume. I mean, the sound on. <laughs> so I didn't realize it's so loud. Okay. So this. Um, so I have, yeah. I was gonna say I do know of somebody who does this as their oh, really? job. Uh-huh. Really? A Facebook acquaintance. Yeah. Wow. This is a real thing that happens. Okay, these are not your typical um, <laughs> line yeah, no. uh, power lines. These things are like huge, yeah. ginormous. Oh yeah, our, our Scottish councillor would have a field day oh, with yeah. these things. Better <laughs> yeah, not put any. Uh, Honestly, I don't know how airplanes aren't in. flying into these darn things and crashing. Exactly. All right, so I'm going to jump ahead again. So this guy is on the uh, on some kind of a arm Platform. sticking out. In a platform, uh, you know, on an arm, it doesn't look like. If you're afraid of heights, it's probably not a good thing. Um, and uh, they're um, heading. I don't know where they're heading. Probably to some really tall to the power, power line. lines. Power line? So uh, let's <laughs> see. Heading off for a barbecue. Nearby <laughs> power line. Oh look! I guess those are. Look at those, those are, are wires. He's going to install or something hanging down. Yeah, I don't know what those things are that he's going to put around the wires, um, but. Or the cables, but uh, they're they're up there, man. They're I don't know how tall. Here come or, the wires. Yeah, the wires are coming. I I'd be thinking Didn't at this point. Like- did anybody turn off the power? <laughs> no, they, they do these. They they're do live this while these things are live. Yeah, because they're not earthing themselves. So in theory, oh they're yeah, that's be true. Okay. That's true. They're not. Of course, they pick a beautiful day. I guess they only do it on a. Now you see, I don't understand why they're using a helicopter. This would be a perfect job for a hot air balloon. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I won't say that, Liz. <laughs> that is that is un- insensitive. Yes, I, I agree. Okay, so he's putting around, I don't know, some kind of a like a wire tire or something around the outside of this thing. I'm not sure what that does. Anybody have any ideas? I have no idea. Anyone in the chat room know what he's doing? Saying the lines are well, it looks though. like it's designed just to wrap around a single wire, mm-hmm. but um, oh, he's hooked himself onto it now. Yeah, he's tw- perhaps it's uh, just to take the strain or uh, fix a, a, a electrical well break in that uh, just piece to of kind wire. of put something on there and not sure what that thing does, but they're leaving now, they're, they're going somewhere else, going on to the next spot, yeah. I have no idea. I wonder if it. Well, like, I'm a bit worried the, about these helicopters' engines. I mean, it keeps stopping weird. and starting, and the rotors keep. I like stopping. Neil's comment. <laughs> They're cable ties for freezer bags. 
<laughs> this is actually a really <laughs> tiny helicopter. Oh, good one, Neil. <laughs> and a very, very tiny person. Maybe, uh, I have no idea. I'd, I'd just be blowing whatever up somebody's skirt, so I'm not going to say what the heck is going on here. But anyway. I don't know. But so he's just attaching like 15-foot lengths of really heavy cable around the existing wire um, overhead wire. Yeah. And I'm not kind of, I'm not sure what function that performs. I mean, they obviously designed to go on it. They've got little twiddly bits at the end to uh, <laughs> yeah, make it twiddly secure. Bits. <laughs> there you go, show title. Yeah. Twir- twiddly, twiddly bits, bits on the end. Twiddly bits. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess he's twiddling the twiddly bits. Yeah. I, yeah. Wow. I have to say, I'm pretty impressed with the helicopter pilot's skill. Yeah. I'm sure balloon pilots would be just as accurate. <laughs> yes. But, um, you know, he's uh, he's hovering this bloke in his cradle within feet of these huge cables uh, and allowing him to basically go right up to it and do his wrapping up job. It must, I mean, it's a hell of a bit of a brilliant bit of formation flying. I, I think that Liz thinks she knows what's going on here. He's getting this line ready for a, what would you say? A, a, a tightrope a tight uh, walker. walker. Uh-huh. <laughs> you just need to beef it up a little bit more. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, I guess the whole video is just basically him doing these little <laughs> wire tie twiddly things. On that. Yeah. Okay. No, we have no idea. It's a good it, guess, Neil. Are they to change the, the harmonic the, resonance of the line to prevent wind or damage in wind? Oh. I have no idea. Maybe. That could be. The harmonic resonance. Oh, good. good. That's yeah. good lateral thinking there, Neil. I That's like got to that. be it. <laughs> we all. Neil's been drinking. We don't know. <laughs> Neil's been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Do we blame him? No. He's been watching our show for three hours. No. Yeah, I've been drinking and I'm taking part. Mandatory. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. So, why is that not disappearing? It's still there. Remove. Okay. Did I just remove somebody that I shouldn't have? No. no. We're all still here. Okay. We're okay. good. Anytime I click on something and nothing happens, I'm thinking, uh-oh. Oops. But Rick didn't appear magically, unfortunately. Yeah, Rick didn't make it. That's sad. Oh, well, Rick, hopefully you'll – well, he's not watching. Was he died? <laughs> I, well, no, I, think, I think he gave up on the internet and went to the beach. Yeah, he's, he's oh, probably enjoying the weather in Hawaii. Looking for the black box. Yeah, he's out, he's out there looking for those black boxes. Okay. Well <laughs> – <laughs> well, we expect an update on the next show. Then. Yes, we do. <laughs> we know what happened. All right. Well, that uh, shall do it for today's show. And uh, as always, we point you over to our website if you want to find out. I mean, why would you? I don't know. But if you're interested in learning more about us <laughs> on the crew or the community um, or maybe some uh, recommendations for how you can get over the uh, the syndrome, um, they haven't found a cure yet. Uh, APG dosing library. Go around a cillin. Pardon me. A dose of go dosing? around a cillin. Yeah, that. Well, I the dosing. The dosing recommendations for go around a cillin. Yeah, because I don't think we really have nailed that down Just yet. One one pill is definitely not enough, but no, you start to get into the side effects quickly. The the other yeah. dosing recommendation seems a little bit much to me. A little high. A little high. Yeah. Anyway, so all that stuff is there. That sort of thing on the uh, website. We're also on social media. Um, 
uh, I won't. I won't even say social needs. No, I but just you did. already said it. Yeah, I just did. You just did. Yeah. But if you'd like to find us on the social meds or yeah. the social media or however you like to call it, mm-hmm. we are on Twitter. That's twitter.com or on the app. We are at APG Crew, and you can find our individual Twitter handles also pinned to the top of that page. You can find us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. And our Instagram page is also APG Crew. So head on over to the social medias and we will see you there. We also have a quasi-social media thing. Um, let's see, see if Hillel's it. Hillel? Slack? I know, I know, you always are. Okay, come over here and tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K. Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1 and see you in Slack. You know, I don't, I know he doesn't sound like it, but he was kind of stumbling around, looks a little woozy. What kind of place is this? Where are we? How does this thing work? He's a little disoriented or something. Yeah, you should help him out. Yeah, I might need to end the show so I can help out Halal over there. All right, well, thanks, Halal. And uh, let's see, we also have, of course, the uh, highlight of our crew, uh, the most important one, the one that does most of the work. Thank you, Liz. Uh, yeah, thanks, producer, Liz. Producer, director. Thank you, Liz. Rano. Good job. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Couldn't do the show without you. And with that... button there okay with that it's time for us to wrap it all up and tie it in a bow and say wishing you all clear skies unlimited visibility and tailwinds take care and god bless cheers y'all bye buddy yeah he's up in the sky it's the airline pilot guy good day